Nobody makes it easier to stay on top of all of your health concerns than Meridian Medical Services. Hey, it's JMV. Call them today, 317-925-0811, and schedule your heart screening. I know my situation. You should, too. Make the call. It is affordable. It is easy, and you will know. 317-925-0811. Nobody's more affordable. Nobody's easier than Meridian Medical Services. Call them today, 317-925-0811. 11. What in the hell do you think you're doing? Hey, John Boy. I'm telling you straight, it's my way or the highway. So anybody wants to walk, do it now. Hey, everybody, we're all going to get laid. And again, it's picked up. It's Darius Leonard. A pick six for the maniac. Touchdown, I-N-D-Y. Yes, sir. Yeah. Oh, oh, the chicken. Double time. Miles Turner. Yeah. John, I have never been better to be on the air with you here in Indianapolis, a place where so many of my dreams have come true. The Ride with JMV on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. An extended four-day Father's Day weekend for John as he is out once again. And I am not JMV, as you can probably tell by the sound of my voice. My name is Derek Schultz. Filling in in the big chair for JMV today, and this is The Ride, 93.5-1075. The fan thrilled to be here on a hot, sweaty, sultry mid-June day. Feeling a little more summery out there in Indianapolis. I'm not complaining. We had a nice, mild spring so far. Summer has been okay. I know it's not technically summer until, what, June 21st or whatever else, but I I hate like the 95-degree day thing. I hate going through that. Uh, my ideal weather is like mid-May or very early October, like late September, that sort of time when you can sleep with the windows open. And when you wake up in the morning and you're getting coffee at like 7 a.m., you can throw on a light jacket or a fleece or something or a hoodie, hoodie and shorts weather. That's my type of weather. Today, not so much. But my excitement's not zapped at all because we got a great show. Um, looking forward to today's show. We're going to talk a lot of Pacers. This is draft week after all. I feel a little weird, though, talking Pacers draft because, as you guys know, they've got five selections. And the probability of the Pacers using all five of those selections is 0%. <laughs> it's zero. <laughs> there is no way that the Pacers use pick 7, 26, 29, 32, and 55. Zero. No way. And Kevin Pritchard has essentially said as much that we're not bringing in five rookies here. (laughs) We're not. Roster spots are at a premium. The Pacers can't just put 25 guys on their roster. They can't. So a trade is coming. I've never been so sure of anything in my life, but what I'm fascinated by when it comes to what the Pacers might do on Thursday is... Is it going to be a a big trade or like a lot of little trades? Are we going to see the Pacers just kind of sell pick 55 and then trade 29 and 32 to, God, I don't know, Sacramento for a future first? Is that what we're going to see? Or are we going to see them take a big swing? Are we going to see them package seven and a player 
Buddy Heald, somebody like that, and go after a, a veteran wing. OG Ananobi, I, you know, I don't know. But a trade is going to happen here. So the discussion about who the Pacers should take here or there, or kind of looking at these mock drafts, like I saw a mock draft where Trace Jackson Davis to the Pacers at 29. I, I don't think they're going to be picking 29. <laughs> I don't think they're going to be picking 26. I'm not so sure they're going to be picking 32. So all of that discussion about like pinpointing where guys are going to go feels like a, a big kind of waste of time to me. But it's sports radio and it's sports Twitter and it's NBA Twitter and everything feels like a waste of time, really, on <laughs> on those mediums, at least a lot of it. Uh, I won't waste your time on today's show until 6 o'clock. We're guest heavy. Greg Rakestra, as you just mentioned, is going to join us here be 25 minutes from now. So he'll be the first guest of the day at around 3.30. Uh, we'll go heavy pacers with Rake. We'll talk some Colts as well because obviously he's involved there. God, Rake's involved in freaking everything. Uh, Tony East, who is one of the absolute best pacer follows, not only for analysis because Tony is a super smart dude, but he knows the intricacies of the NBA salary cap like no one I've ever met before. Um. I've I've made this joke to Tony. I'm not going to make it to him again when he when he comes on the show at four o'clock because I've done it so many times. He's probably oh god, this guy again with this stupid joke. You know the Office episode where Michael, uh, because of Jan's spending, Michael Scott has to declare bankruptcy. And at the very beginning of the episode, he brings Oscar Martinez into his office, who is the accountant in in the show, and. Oscar's going over his finances and he's talking about, look, you've got all of these monthly payments and it's ridiculous, your output compared to what you've got coming in. And Michael looks at Oscar and he goes, why don't you just explain this to me like I'm five years old? And that's how I feel with with Tony and uh, early bird rights and, um, you know, what when you can trade somebody, when you can't trade somebody and two-way deals and all. All of these things that are involved with NBA salary structure and cap and contracts and luxury tax and everything like that. Tony explains that stuff better than anybody. Now, I'm not going to get too in the weeds with that because this will be a draft conversation. That's more for like free agency and trade deadline. But the Pacers are in a position here where there just isn't a lot of room at the end. It's actually kind of a good problem to have. We have too many draft picks. That is a good problem to have. But they're going to have to navigate this deftly uh, here coming up starting on Thursday and, and and figure out what they're going to do here because you can't keep everybody. You can't have the veteran presence in, in George Hill or James Johnson and, and keep both of those guys. Um, you probably can't keep everybody that's on the roster right now that's guaranteed to be on the roster, at least have his guaranteed contract, I should say, for 23-24 in Tice and McConnell and, and, and all of these other pieces. You know, are you going to move healed? It, it, maybe we can finally move on from talking about them moving on Miles Turner, which we've done in this town for like 10 years straight or however long Miles Turner's been in the league. You know, Miles Turner was drafted in 2015. I think the next night we were talking about, hey, Pacers, should, should they trade Miles Turner? That's what it really feels like. At least he's not in that conversation. At least I don't think so, where we are right now. But Tony East is going to join us to talk about all that coming up at 4 o'clock. Really looking forward to our conversation with Bob Kravitz at 5. I think you guys know that uh, Bob, no longer with The Athletic, they made a decision corporate-wise to shed some of their very, very talented and established writers and columnists and, and 
pivot a little bit from what their business model was. It has nothing to do with Bob's ability or the quality of his work. It's just one of those things that happens in this business. It's something that happened to me three years ago, which I'm not going to rehash on this show, but Bob will join us at five o'clock and we'll talk about what the past couple of days have been like for him, the outpouring of support and, and kind of where he goes from here. I'm not sure Bob knows, honestly. Um, I, I talked to him briefly via text and it doesn't sound like he's calling it a career uh, after 40 plus years of, of doing this and doing this at a high level. I mean, when you think of Indianapolis sports media members in, in this generation, if, if you were to go to you know, Portland, Maine, or to Columbia, South Carolina, and have somebody name somebody that is connected with Indianapolis or somebody that they've heard of in Indianapolis, I, I think Bob Kravitz would be the name, honestly, that would come up the most. I mean, he had a national and still has a, a national presence from his time as an Indy Star columnist and then with THR and then, of course, here the last couple of years at The Athletic. But Bob's going to join us at 5 o'clock and we'll get up to date with what he's doing. A guy that's doing a whole heck of a lot and it's weird because he's in a different town now and I, I think the world of his talent and I kind of miss having him around. Charlie Clifford's going to join us at 5.30. How about those red legs? They've won nine straight. They're in first place in the Central and I'm, I'm not going to turn this into like a – we're not going to do a Reds – segment you know to me in indianapolis it's hoops football and then you sprinkle in racing like that's that's essentially what sells here and you guys can tell me if i'm wrong at schultz 975 or in the youtube lounge or (laughs) wherever else i mean i know we have baseball fans in here just like we have hockey fans in indianapolis but sports talk to me is two and a half sports in this town and and maybe you sprinkle everything else in so Reds, when they're relevant, okay, here you go. Here's some Reds. Cubs, when they're relevant, okay, here's some Cubs. Maybe some Cardinals. Maybe. But that's about the extent of the baseball stuff. But the Reds, the win streak, the excitement around the team. I know JMV, the normal host of this show, is a big Reds guy. I thought just kind of in tribute to him, I'm filling in. You know, I was thinking to myself, what, what would John be talking about today? John be talking about the Reds winning streak, right? He'd be talking about the Reds winning streak, of course. So we'll talk a little bit about that with Charlie. Um, maybe a little bit about the, the Bengals as well and, and where they sit right now. It's weird for me being a, a kid of the 90s where I, I'm just old enough to remember the last time that the, the Cincinnati kind of had the end of that Boomer Sison, Icky Woods sort of run there in the 80s. The, the first Super Bowl that I can remember was the, the Niners-Bengals second Super Bowl in 88. At least I think it was maybe maybe that was yeah that was eighty eight right eighty seven was Redskins Broncos and then eighty nine was Broncos Niners again. Um, I remember that one, but for most of my life, Cincinnati has been kind of a punchline. It's certainly through the nineties, and then even when they got competent, like under Marvin Lewis and like the Andy Dalton era, or even going back to like Carson Palmer, Chad Ochocinco, T.J. Husmanzada, Rudy Johnson, like th- those teams. Um, the the punchline, instead of being the worst team in the league, they were, well, they can't win a playoff game, even one. And then finally, of course, they busted that drought a couple of years ago and Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and everything that they've been able to do since then. So we'll, we'll mix in some Bengals talk there. But we're going to be Pacers and Colts heavy. 239-1070, at Schultz975 on Twitter. Uh, getting back into the Pacers, if they do stay at seven, which I think is kind of a 50-50 proposition at this point, I don't know that. You know, I, I don't know that they're definitely going to move off of seven. You can't conjure up trades out of thin air. 
Somebody's got to want that pick. What strikes me about this draft compared to last year's draft is that last year's draft as well kind of had a, a an upper tier of guys. And you thought to yourself, okay, these are the franchise-level playing guys, but then when you get to tier two, these are guys that can be really, really good like all-star players. So Ben Caro and, and Chet Holmgren and Jamar, Jabari Smith were kind of the guys that were thought of as being the top group, but there wasn't this huge drop-off after those three. Uh, Jaden Ivey was viewed on the cusp of being on that tier, and he had a fantastic rookie year. Benedict Mather in the same way at Arizona, and he had a fantastic rookie year, as everybody here in, in town knows. And Keegan Murray was a rock-solid player for, for Sacramento as well. I mean, those guys all have certainly all-star potential and are probably going to have 10, 12, 15-year careers in the league. You know, looking at how this draft shapes up, when you get past, certainly when you get past Wemby at one, who's this generational prospect, you've got a couple of guys in Brandon Miller and, and Scoot Henderson who are highly regarded, maybe franchise-level all-star players. But then after that, it's a lot of, eh. I mean, eh, Cam Whitmore, okay. Jarris Walker, uh, all right. Taylor Hendricks, okay. Like a bunch of AAC players, cool. Um, yeah, I don't know if anybody gets excited about those guys. I, I think Jarris Walker can have a really good career and a really long career, but... I don't see, and you could see a lot of, uh, you know, the scouting process is very flawed because we're just projecting. Nobody knows. I remember reading things about, uh, reports about Andrew Nemhard last year. And all the talk about Andrew Nemhard was that he is a backup point guard. That's what he is. That's what he'll be. That's what he is always going to be. He is a backup point guard. No ceiling. I shouldn't say no ceiling. That that <laughs> implies that he has a really great one. Um, a low ceiling, I should say. And a guy that is just a competent offensive player. Not a lot of upside there. And you saw from year one, I don't think you had to be a scout to see this. And I'm not trying to say that Andrew Nemhard is going to be some like all-NBA player or anything like that. Andrew Nemhard is considerably better than a backup point guard level player. Considerably better than that and projects considerably better than that. I mean, to me, that that's his floor. His floor is backup point guard, sixth man's, you know, first, second, third guy off the bench. That's his floor. And I think there's going to be some more improvement there. So these guys, they get it wrong. It's a lot like predicting the weather. You You add up the information that you have, but things just, weird stuff just sometimes happens and you just get lucky and you draft a dude a, a, a pudgy international player during a Taco Bell commercial and he becomes a two-time MVP and wins an NBA championship you draft a, a skinny kid from Greece and he ends up being the best player in the league like you just kind of have to get lucky here that there, there is no kind of like foolproof way of speaking in absolutes about what these players are going to be. But here on June 20th, where we sit today, 2023, this the middle of this draft class and in the middle of this, I guess, top 10, I should say, is just kind of eh to me. Now, the Pacers could use somebody with these skill sets. They could use 
Taylor Hendricks shooting ability, they could use Jarris Walker's defense and athleticism. They could use that. They're, they're going to get a useful player if they stay at seven. I, I just don't think they're going to get a frontline piece like Benedict Matherin looks like a, a frontline piece. Tyrese Halliburton obviously is a frontline piece. I don't think they're going to get that here. And since that seems to be the case, if you're not going to get that frontline piece, that makes the trade uh, for whatever it is more attractive. Because if I'm dealing the number seven pick, what I'm worried about is, oh my God, am I dealing a future Hall of Famer? Like that's what you that that's what sucks you in about the draft. All of the possibilities are there. You can talk yourself into anything. You can talk yourself into these guys being anything. I mean, look at what we're doing in this town in football with Anthony Richardson. You know, I am open to every single possibility for Anthony Richardson. Anthony Richardson might be a Hall of Fame player. Anthony Richardson might be out of the league in four years. It's possible, right? Like, I don't, I don't think either of those extremes are going to happen, but it, it, it's possible you're not going to write that off. And that's what's so intriguing about the draft pick, and that's what makes them so hard to trade. So normally, I, I'm kind of against, especially for a team, you know, the Pacers are still early-ish in this rebuild. They don't need to win right now. Most teams that trade top 10 picks for veterans are teams that are a player away or are thinking about contending. I think the Pacers think about the playoffs. I think they'd like to make the postseason next year. But I think they know deep down this isn't ready to be a contending team in 2024. It's still going to be a minute before that ends up happening. But that said, if... Jarris Walker and Cam Whitmore and Grady Dick, I don't know, these guys that have been linked to the Pacers, if they're all viewed as being eh, competent NBA starters, they can be pretty good. I, I think you can live with trading somebody like that, trading that projection for a veteran player that is already established, and then you don't have to worry about the floor. Because there's also the possibility that Cam Whitmore stinks or Jarris Walker stinks or Grady Dick stinks. And you kind of take that off the table if you're the Pacers. So I, I think a trade is happening. Just adding everything up here. The level of player that the Pacers are going to get at seven, the few roster spots that they have, the few, the, the, the very minuscule amount of space that they have, period. The fact that they already have a lot of young players into the fold and they don't want to just keep piling young player on young player on young player on young player. All of those things add up to them making some sort of a deal. And if it's the number seven pick, cool. If it's 26, 29, 32, awesome, great. If the Pacers don't even make a selection on Thursday, cool, fine. You want to trade some of those assets for the future? Great. Wonderful. Because I think that they've already have the, the, the foundation not fully established, but at, at least they have some of the pieces there. This the, the sense of urgency in this draft just feels way different than the sense of urgency in last year's draft. Last year with that number six pick, it was their first single-digit pick since 1989. You felt like, okay, they've got to get this right and they've got to get a guy that's going to be a star. Not somebody who's going to be good. Not somebody who's going to be competent. They need a star. 
And I think they feel like, and I think we all hope that, they got that with Benedict Matherin. In this case, I don't see a star here at any of these picks. Uh, any of these picks around seven. So I think that changes the outlook on how you're approaching this if you're Kevin Pritchard and, and the Pacers front office. But again, it, it's a good place to be. The Pacers are in a good spot. They had a good season. I, I know that they, they had that stretch from, well, what was it, like January to the middle of February. They, they, they had six weeks where they were awful, where they were losing every night. So it's easy for me, for, for sports radio host guy, to come in here and say, well, if you take that six weeks out, you know, they can be a, a pretty good play, a pretty good team. But given that our bar of expectations was so low for them, the Vegas over-under, I think, was 23 and a half wins, and they blasted past that. They cruised past that. And what you saw when they really flashed, the potential that you saw of some of the young pieces and how they grew together and how they played together really outside of that six-week stretch, I think you were encouraged. We've beat the Pacers up a lot in this town. And this season, and and even right now, and, and entering Thursday night, it's the first time that I've really felt consistently good about this franchise in a long time. You know, you very briefly had that feeling in early 17-18, really throughout that year. That that was a fun year. The, the first year post-Paul George Oladipo Sabonis swap, where they make that trade in July, and you think that they're going to be terrible, and then not only are they not terrible, they should have won a playoff series that year. You know, the NBA is is interesting in that it's, it's kind of the anti-hockey, where in the NBA... 99, maybe not 99, nine times out of 10, the better team wins a series. That very rarely happens in hockey. <laughs> the, the, the lesser team wins a series all the time in hockey because it's random and you run into a hot goaltender or whatever. That's why everybody loves hockey, right? It's, it's, it's crazy. You're on the edge of your seat the entire time. The NBA is a lot more straightforward. A best of seven series, the better team wins 90% of the time. The Pacers in 2018, that year against the Cavs with LeBron and like Jordan Clarkson, and, you know, that group, that was a case where the better team lost that series. They did. And you're just not going to ever convince me otherwise. Best player was LeBron. The best team in that series was the Pacers. So that was a fun memory. That, that, that season was a fun season. But really outside of that, you got to go back to 2014 for the last time you were feeling good about this team. Because everything else has just been kind of a tease. You know, 19 and 20 in the bubble season and, and TJ Warren and, and, and those teams, eh. Those teams were, they were never going to go anywhere. That that was just chilling in the middle. That was just getting by. And I don't want to just get by. I don't want to just chill in the middle. The, the Pacers have spent enough time in the middle. You guys know this. They've spent decades in the middle. I want them to be back where they were in the 90s. From 94 to really to the brawl. That's a, a basically where they were. That was the gold standard of Pacers basketball. They were in the conference finals a lot. They were contending a lot. They were fun. They had all-stars. They were viewed as this competent, stable, good franchise. And and I want them to get back to that consistently. And it's not that the Pacers are a punchline or anything like that. The Pacers have had far lower lows than what they've just experienced. 
but I'm ready for them to get to that next level. And I think that this draft and this offseason is another step towards that. Last year was the first step towards it, and I think they, they did great. They did great. Now it's about kind of taking the next one and, and how they're going to approach it from here because they have assets. They have players that other teams want. They have picks. You know, Buddy Heald on an expiring deal is a, a good NBA player, one of the best shooters in the league. Remember, when, when they made that trade, Buddy Heald was viewed as a contract. Oh, here's Sacramento just kind of offloading this, this bad contract. Yeah, Buddy Heald, there are a lot of teams that love to have Buddy Heald. I like having Buddy Heald. I don't think he lines up age-wise with this Pacers core, but good player. And the Pacers have a lot of things going for them. We'll see if they can't take advantage of that situation. 239-1070. Greg Regstraw is going to talk blue and gold with us next. It's the ride with JMV. Derek Schultz filling in 93.5-1075 the fan. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta. And check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. The Ride with JMV. You just got your asses whipped by a bunch of damn nerds. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Welcome back. Rolling along here. 93.5, 107.5. The Fan filling in for JMV. My name is Derek Schultz. Appreciate you making this show part of your Tuesday. Chances are, if you're listening now, you also made the midday show part of your Tuesday afternoon. That was... Hosted by a good friend of mine and a a guy that is no stranger to this station. He's no stranger to a microphone, period. His name is Greg Rakestraw of the ISC Sports Network, Indy 11, Indianapolis Colts. I'm not going to list his LinkedIn page because we'd be here for the next hour, but he joins us now on the guest line. And Rake, did I hear you call me a colleague around 1.30 today? Because I am absolutely honored. I was in the car listening. I I am honored to be considered a (laughs) colleague of the Greg Rakestraw. So thank you. Yeah, of course. I mean, we were co-workers at two different places. I didn't have a chance, you know, when uh, I referenced earlier about this was going to be like the 950 doubleheader, you know, on the fan today. Uh, we needed to see if Macaulay or Blackman are available to make an appearance on the morning show. We could have hit the trifecta on the show today. Dude, I think the last time we had a Pacers draft conversation on an Indianapolis radio show, we were talking about whether they should take a point guard or Tyler Hansbrough. That's how long it's been. <laughs> I think it was. Hey, I keep seeing here this Paul George guy from Fresno State. Yeah. Nobody knows who he is. Is that going to work out for the Pacers at 10? I don't know. Uh, time flies. Time flies when you're having fun, that's for sure. Uh, Pacers in a good spot, though, here entering Thursday. I, I guess in the, the pantheon of sports problems to have too many draft choices is, is kind of a good place to be, no? Correct. In other words, I think they have made progress quicker uh, than they had anticipated. 
And, you know, we talked about, I talked about this in the show earlier that, you know, Kevin Pritchard has had his hand forced in terms of making a lot of moves because of Paul George seven, eight years ago now, Victor Oladipo three or four years ago now. But let's also acknowledge the moves he's been able to make, even kind of on a secondary scale, to bring in the proper pieces. You know, Aaron Neesmith was kind of a throw-in as part of the Malcolm Brogdon deal. And the Pacers simply get out of Brogdon's contract was like the most important part of it. I think Neesmith, if, if not a starter, is a rotational piece. You know, the Pacers basically got Jordan War at the trade deadline because they had cap room. And I think he can be a guy that's maybe the eighth or ninth player you know, on the rotation. So they've, they've done well. And I think the fact that they can't fit five draft picks in, um, you know, two, a year after a 25-win season kind of tells you they got some foundational pieces put together. So, you know, I, I, I think it's, it's an impact player at seven, and it's, and it's a veteran. I think that's they're looking for. Anything else, you know, second round might be a draft and stash guy, or, or there could be a trade for future picks. If somebody wants to move up and willing to give up future capital, I think the Pacers will be in that conversation the next couple of days. And given the fact that they're looking for, as you said, an impact player at seven, and they also have the roster crunch that they have, to me, Rake, my, my viewpoint on this is that I, I think a trade's coming because anything's sure. possible, I guess, but out of Taylor Hendricks and Jarris Walker and Grady Dick, like I, I don't really see – I see useful NBA players. I don't see impact-level players there with the guys that have been linked to the Pacers. Sure, and, and, and I'm not going to try to pretend that, that I am, you know – completely checked into the major college basketball scene outside of the Big Ten at this point. I'm not. Um, so, you know, I can spit facts at you about Jairus Walker or Taylor Hendricks, that I've spent a lot of time watching, you know, those two in the American Athletic Conference this year. Now, if I'm watching the AAC, it's probably because Tulane and Ron Hunter uh, is involved, and, and, and not necessarily those guys. So that, that, that's kind of a discussion that comes up, and obviously I had it on the show today. Do you trade seven? to bring in a guy like O.G. Ananobi? Do you put other pieces as a part of that deal uh, to try to bring in a veteran? I'm not sure if the Pacers are to the point where you're trading away the seventh pick to bring back a veteran. That'd be a pretty quick departure, kind of what the plan has been over the course of the last couple of years. But but maybe we're to that point uh, in Kevin Pritchard's estimation. Yeah, the difficult thing about conjuring up trades is that I can conjure up a great trade for the Pacers that makes sense for them. It's harder for me to conjure up a great trade that makes sense for the Pacers and somebody else. Like Toronto, I I think you and Jimmy were having this discussion, you know, the the number seven pick in Buddy Heald is a great trade package, but if I'm Toronto, why in the world would I want Buddy Heald? I'm tearing things down. Right. I mean, I think you want the seventh pick, you want another future pick. Maybe you'd be willing to take on just some of the spare parts that the Pacers have, whether it's Jalen Smith or Isaiah Jackson, whether it's Chris Duarte, knowing you simply kind of need bodies, you know, for some of these teams like the Raptors, like the Wizards. You know, there is no team in the NBA that needs spare parts like the Phoenix Suns. They literally have nothing to give back at this point. You know, they're out of draft picks. They got like five dudes under contracts. They really can't be involved in any sort of trade unless there's some sort of three way deal that, that would benefit somebody. So, yeah, it's easy, and the immediate thought was is that everybody's little brother outside of Indianapolis had Russell Westbrook coming to the Pacers you know, this past year because the Pacers could eat that contract. 
Um, but, but you know, clearly the Pacers are like, no, we're, we're good. We can kind of like the pieces that we have and don't want him at this point. So you're right. When you're thinking about these trade deals that can be put together, you got to think about what makes sense for the other team as well. And while Buddy Heald, I think, would help other teams, not those who are in a rebuilding mode. We're talking with Greg Rakestraw, ISC Sports Network. It's the ride, 93.5, 107.5, the fan. Uh, let's shift over to the Colts. They wrapped up minicamp six days ago they punted on the last day and middle of june i I think sometimes we're just sort of begging for things to talk about when it comes to football so i've I've always felt like what happens in otas we just end up overrating um but all all of that said with with anthony richardson and, and kind of the ups and downs uh is there anything that happened that made you think any differently about richardson than you did let's say on draft night no not at all I mean, and, and, and all of the little things are good signs. How he handles the media, the stories you're about him, you know, cleaning up, you know, after a, a pre-draft event, the way the other players in the room talk about him, some of the throws you have seen him make in practice. Um, but we're not going to learn anything really until September or October. We'll learn more about when he's going to make his debut as a starter in July and August. But everything is about at this point – Hey, can, can you play? Can you figure it out at this level? And we're not going to learn that in practices in T-shirts and shorts in April, May, or June. So, again, all, all of the signs are pointing in the right direction, but we're not going to know much. And, again, we'll learn, we'll learn a little bit more at the end of July and the end of August, but it's going to be well into this year and maybe even a year after that before we really kind of know, all right, what exactly do the Indianapolis Colts have in their number four pick? Maybe it's just me talking myself into things, and this probably, honestly, long-term isn't the best thing for them, at least in the scope of the 2023 season, Rake, but I I just don't think that they're going to be like this bad, awful football team. I I see people say, well, they're going to go, you know, they're going to win three or four games again. I'm like, guys, they... They were almost a 6-7 win team last year, and I think on paper they look, and that's with everything going wrong. Like last year, everything that could go wrong for the 2022 Colts I think went wrong, and I just feel like that's unlikely to occur again this fall. And here's what I would say is this, is that the margin is so slim between great to terrible in the National Football League. The Colts were a miserable football team last year with a 4-12-1 record. Period, end of sentence. They beat the Super Bowl champs and should have beaten the runners-up. Now, I know both of those were in Indianapolis. Those games were kind of played in different circumstances in terms of one being in week number three and the other one being in the middle of November. But for as bad as the Indianapolis Colts were, they beat the Chiefs, they should have beaten the Eagles, and they should have beaten another playoff team in terms of Minnesota Vikings. And so, and that's with, that's with pieces that, that, that weren't fitting and with a coaching situation that was questionable. So you're never that far away in the National Football League, never. I mean, there's, you, you have an occasional team that appears to be on team tank fewer than you get at, say, the NBA level or the Major League Baseball level. You're never that far away in the National Football League. And I get that you can play the what-if game on, on the wins as well, but bottom line, if, if they convert a 4th and 20 uh, or at least prevent the Texans from converting a 4th and 20 in Week 17 and then they hold on to a 33-point lead, then that's a 6-win football team. <laughs> you know, exactly. like that, That's kind of how close they were, I think, to at least being – and thank God they weren't. Thank God they lost both of those games. Yay. Right. Uh, that was it, the best it, thing it, for them, but but that's how close they were. Term. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I look at this roster and I, 
I just I don't see bad football team. I see maybe a below average one, but I, I don't see a, a bad football team. So what is a reasonable expectation? Like, what are you looking for next year, Rick? Obviously, you're looking for growth and development, individual players like Anthony Richardson. But from a team standpoint, is there something, is there a win total or, or something that you could point to to say, okay, this season is success if blank happens? It's not, it's not a win total. It is, can the offensive line revert to something other than what was at the end of last year? Because that went from a strength to an albatross in an amazingly quick fashion over the span of a couple of years. And so is there anything left in that offensive line? That strikes, you know, that, that catches my attention. What is Shaquille Leonard at this point? Um, you know, can he revert back to what he was you know, he was a playmaker for you in 2021, um, but maybe wasn't as consistent as he was the three years before that. What is Shaquille Leonard going to be? Um, can you develop other talent at wide receiver, not named Michael Pittman? But the obvious thing that this season's going to come down to, whether it's a success or not, will not be, you know, wins and losses. They're nice when you have them, but how good is Anthony Richardson? When you have a first-round pick at quarterback, and he he was so unique to try to qualify as a draft pick, let alone before, you know, ever taking, you know, a snap in the National Football League, yeah, that kind of blot, blots out the sun. And so what is Anthony Richardson going to be in 2023? Everything else is secondary compared to what number five looks like over the course of 17 weeks. We're talking with Greg Rakestraw of the ISC Sports Network here on The Ride on The Fan. Uh, Greg, you have done so many different sports and you're involved in so many different events. And and I know just personally speaking, you have a lot of different interests, notably tennis, one of your big interests. This is kind of the time of year in the summer where we're not just 24-7, 365 NFL, NFL, NFL all the time. What is your favorite summer sporting event? Is it soccer related? Is it Wimbledon? What is it for Greg Regstraw? Uh, it, it would be World Cup. And obviously we have a Women's World Cup that comes up. That will catch my attention a few weeks from now. Clearly, the Men's World Cup wasn't close to the summer last year with it you know, being played on like Thanksgiving and Christmas uh, and, and things like that. Um, U.S. Open, which just happened, is obviously a pretty big deal. You know, Wimbledon, I probably don't watch as much as I used to. Uh, and, and maybe I'll start watching it. This is not to, like I acknowledge, like Rafael Nadal, Roger Federer, Novak Djokovic, you can argue, are the three greatest men's tennis players to ever live. Um, but, but I also have to the point where I'm like, okay, I've seen this final before. I've yeah. seen this matchup before. Uh, and so maybe, maybe knowing that we're, we're down to really one of those three, Rafa's going to come back for kind of a send-off year next year. But it's Novak and everybody else you know, at this point. That might get a little bit more of my attention. Um, so I, I would probably say World Cup would be number one. And then, obviously, anything we produce on the ISC Sports Network. So, Greater Lafayette World Series is up there somewhere. <laughs> Including Quarian Schultz, of course, which you can see Monday nights at 7.30, iscsportsnetwork.com and the ISC app. This is kind of the, the, the only real, quote-unquote, light portion of the ISC calendar. I'm looking here. Um, yeah, obviously, the Indy 11 women, and you guys have the production contract with the Indianapolis Indians, but really up until, you know, IFCA and then the football all-star game, and then August when things start kicking with the Mick games and Carmel and everything else, else that you guys have going on there this is kind of the only like light sort of oh my god is greg going to get a weekend off 
sort of break here. But appreciate you coming on the show, my man, and I'll see you uh, coming up here on Monday. This is my only weekend off, by the way, coming up. Uh, so, you, so you nailed that. And this is the only week in the calendar year where I do not have play-by-play. Wow. And so as much as I love my job, I am looking forward to a weekend off coming up. Yeah, get some, like, honey tea or something. <laughs> just take it easy for a little bit. I'll, I'll, I'll just sit there and, and kind of keep the voice at a normal volume. I should be good. There you go. At Greg Regstraw on Twitter, ISCSportsNetwork.com. You can download the app on mobile, Roku, Apple, Fire TV, among other platforms, and check out Greg. And they're a very, very busy sports calendar. Appreciate it as always, my man. Thanks. You don't have to say they. You don't work for us full-time anymore, but you are still part of the family. You can drop a we with that. Cool. <laughs> All right. I'll do a we. I'll keep there going with the we. See you, man. That's our friend Greg Regstraw. Yeah, we were co-workers way back in the day. So when I I graduated Indiana University in 2005, and this is a an absolutely a true story. So I'm driving back on I-80. So I used to go 70 from, you know, go to Bloomington to Indy and then uh, 70 to Columbus and then straight north Columbus, 71 to Cleveland, essentially. And then I'd pick up the toll road and, and go 80 um, all the way to the George Washington Bridge and then up to Connecticut, my home state. And I'm, I'm driving on 80. I don't remember what state I was in. But I had one of those flip phones or whatever else. And I'm like, what the hell am I going to do? I'm working at Outback Steakhouse. That's not what I want to do permanently. I've, I've graduated what I'm going to do with my life. And um, I, I had a buddy named Ryan Davis who now runs comms for the Missouri Valley Conference. And he was working at ESPN 950, which had a little cracker box studio, a stone's throw away from where I'm sitting right now at the MS and, and headquarters where Urban One is now and, and this radio station is. And I, I give Greg a call and I said, hey, um, you know, I'm, I'm in Bloomington for another year. I've graduated. I could send you my resume, but I, I'm just trying to get involved. So anything that I could do, I'll even intern. He's like, well, you could be an intern, but there are potential for you to be a part timer. And I started in that August. And then in September, I was working part time shifts as a board op and eventually show hosting high school shows, midday shows, the afternoon show with Greg. And then uh, I guess the rest is, is kind of history there. So it's funny how, how life works and things can come full circle, but that's a, almost a 20 year relationship now with Greg. Um, and he's been great to me in my life. We're only like seven or eight years apart. So it's a little weird to be like mentor and father figure, but uh, Greg's been all those things, uh, but most notably a great friend during all of that time. We got Tony East coming up top of the hour. We'll talk more Pacers and also go through the headlines for today. It's the ride with JMV. Derek Schultz filling in 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, Ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. The Ride with JMV. I fart in your general direction. Your mother was a hamster and your father smelt of elderberry. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. 
Thanks again to Greg Rakestraw for joining us. ISC Sports Network. We got Tony East coming up. Ooh, let's see. Eight minutes from now. Top of the hour. We'll talk more Pacers with him. He's the Locked On Pacers podcast host. Also covers the Pacers for Forbes, SI.com, and a bunch of other things as well. Tony's a, a great dude. Really, you know, no pun intended. He's, you know, locked on Pacers, but he is locked in when it comes to the blue and gold and all of their happenings. And that's kind of the big news of the day. Uh, we are still 50 ish hours, actually more than that, 52. I, I don't know why I'm trying to do the exact hour. We're two days away from <laughs> the NBA draft of the Pacers. Uh, the Indy Star had a, a piece about them conducting 62 player workouts, which is the most that they've done in years and years. I, I want to say the late 80s. And if you go back that far, I, I don't remember exactly when we went to just two rounds in the NBA draft. But for a while there, there were like six, seven rounds. And then I think there were three rounds. And then somewhere, I I, I want to say in the early 90s, we started going down to two rounds, like 91, 92. It was 1989 like is when the NBA draft Okay, 89. Cool. James, did you know that off the top of your head? Oh, no. I just Googled it. Okay, cool. Yeah. See, this is... It, James Adams is a great producer because he's able to just find these factoids on the fly like that. So 89 was when they went down to um, to two of those rounds. So I think you have to go back to prior to that, the last time the Pacers conducted this many player workouts, and they've got a lot of picks, and they can cast a pretty wide net here and, and see all that they have and who they can get in potential spots, and if they want to deal off those picks knowing, hey, we can get this guy, do we want to trade this pick or not? So NBA draft should be a very, very interesting night for the Pacers coming up here on Thursday. Colts entering sort of the dead portion of the NFL offseason with plenty of question marks. We'll get to those questions coming up a little bit later on in the show, I think after our, our talk with Tony East. And that's the case for the other 31 NFL teams, too. No, no one doesn't have offseason question marks. Everybody's got something that they're concerned with, worried about, something that needs to be resolved. Um, the, the, the latter category there for the Colts is, is the big one. Uh, the, the biggest storyline to me is not whether Gardner Minshew or Anthony Richardson plays starts week one. I'm, I'm not even going to worry about that until like August. <laughs> I'm not sweating that at all right now. What I'm thinking about right now is are they going to resolve the Michael Pittman Jr. and Jonathan Taylor contract extension situations? Those are the, that, the those two things combined into one storyline is the the biggest thing that I think the Colts have cooking at least for the next six weeks, and that'll carry us through Westfield as well. We'll be talking about that a lot. Joey Votto homers in his return. Reds run their winning streak to nine, and they grab first place in the NL Central after a 5-4 win over the Rockies. It's great to see. Uh, I'm I'm thrilled for the fans. I know a lot of Reds fans, and they've been suffering a little bit here. Um, I don't think the ownership ownership group there has always done them all these favors uh I thought they kind of sold off some pieces and and punted on a couple of years I'm glad they're turning it around but that doesn't kind of excuse some of the decision making that they made in the last couple of years but good for the Reds Um, I'm glad they're relevant um and it helps it helps to be in the centrals uh in in baseball the centrals is where you want to be especially the AL central which has stunk for years just awful um you know, you're feeling real good about yourself if you're hanging around 500 in the Centrals. You're not feeling real good about yourself if you're the Red Sox right now in maybe the greatest division in baseball history. You're not feeling too good about yourself. And I think Boston, and this is coming from a Yankee fan, I think Boston probably is the best team of either of those divisions out of the 10 teams. But it is what it is. You 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 go where you go. Your division is what it is, right? 
Colts know they benefited from that in the AFC South for years. And then finally, rounding our headlines, Indiana Fever heading west for a four-game road trip. That also starts Thursday. They're going to Seattle, pair of games in Vegas, and they've got somebody else in there, L.A. maybe, uh, mixed in there. And they've been... Uh, really good so far. They, they're four and seven, right? So the, the the record wise, you can point to and say, "Well, what are you talk about they're really good." They're showing a lot of progress and taking positive steps forward. And Leah Boston has been fantastic. She has been just as advertised, and that's been really, really, really great to see for a team that has kind of fallen into the basement of the WNBA. Tony East is going to talk Pacers with us. We'll fit in some fever with him as well. Locked on Pacers podcast. We'll talk draft night coming up Thursday next. It's the ride with JMV. 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta. And check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. The Ride with JMV. Have you ever killed anyone? Yeah, but they were all bad. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Hour number two, The Ride with JMV. I'm not JMV. I'm Derek Schultz filling in for today. Thanks so much for making us a part of your afternoon. Two days away from the NBA draft. It's always one of my favorite nights. In fact, Jake and I on the show, Jake Query, who does mornings with Kevin Bowen, we still do our dog and pony show, Query and Schultz, once a week, Monday night, 7.30, IC Sports. We can check it out on YouTube. Everyone has their own sports nerd gift, and one of my sports nerd gifts is that I have this encyclopedic knowledge of the 1996 NBA draft, which is the greatest draft ever, even better than 84, pound for pound. And I can run through essentially the entire first round of the 96 NBA draft. So for me, draft night was always a lot of fun because as a kid, I had a lot of friends, uh, of course, and I would use my parents' Packard Bell computer and create spreadsheets with all the draft picks. This is you know either pre-internet or the infancy of the internet in like 93, 94, 95, 96, and I would run them all down as the broadcast was going down. Um, I, Tony wasn't around then, at least I, I think most of his childhood was spent in the internet era, but I, I think he can connect with that because he shares, I think a fellow nerddom when it comes to the NBA, he covers the Pacers for SI.com. He's the host of the locked on Pacers podcast. And he joins us now. Any nerdy thing like that, Tony, as a kid, NBA wise that you used to do. I was alive for the 1996 draft, Derek. I'm not that young. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I, I know you're a little bit younger, but you, you probably, I mean, most of your stuff was internet, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I was in the last class of my high school that didn't have laptops. So gotcha. kind of internet. Okay. Kind of internet, I guess. Those- um, yeah, I don't know if I had like a nerdy NBA. I had a lot of nerdy baseball stuff. I bought the top 10 stats book that the MLB put out every single year. Some of them, it was the same top 10 for every stat the same every year over, but I still wanted to read it. So baseball was my nerdy thing. 
it's just fun. Like you can pick a sports season. I, I remember ESPN used to have an old show and you, you would pick your expertise like 1993, 94 Indiana Hoosiers. And then <laughs> like Dan Patrick would ask you questions. And, and I feel like everyone has like that one category where you're just like, I know everything there is to know about this, but I, I know, you know, most of what there is to know about the current 23, 24, at least about to be Indiana Pacers uh, as fun as it is to have five draft selections. Does some of this feel like, I don't know if I want to say a waste of time, but we know there's a 0% chance that the Pacers actually use all five of these selections, right? Yeah, I mean, they've, they've said that, right? They've made that clear. And usually that's like you keep your cards close to the vest if you can kind of thing. But it's just so obvious that they can't make five picks that they'll tell anyone who, who's around, right? And they, I think Kevin Pritchard said it at three different junctures now, uh, Miles Turner's extension at the end of his season presser and then again at the lottery because – it's not even that having five picks is, like, bad for a team trying to be good. It's that they can't fit five new players on their team, right? They don't even have mm-hmm. five free agents in the mix. They'd have to trade away stuff just to free up the roster spots to actually make five picks. So not only do they want to be making steps forward next year, and it's hard to do that when you're playing rookies significant minutes, but they just can't even fit five first-year players into the infrastructure they already have. So it's very obvious they'll be moving some stuff around in some way. The question is how and what do they get back and how do they prioritize those returns? What are the chances, just gleaning from either what you've heard or just kind of adding everything up, that they, they end up moving off of specifically the number seven pick? Yeah, you know, the the reasons you do it is kind of what we just said, that, that they need to consolidate in some way, right? If they can trade their four picks that aren't seven as well as seven and get to six or five to get their guy, maybe you do that. Um, if you can go to nine and also get 16 and then you trade all the rest of your picks for some good vet that fits your team, maybe you do that. You know, I don't know what the best path forward is. And that was kind of a theme we heard yesterday when we were talking to their vice president of player personnel, Ryan Carr, because he kept using two words. He said options and opportunity. They'll have a lot of those in the draft because they have five picks and because it's going to potentially be a bigger movement than normal year with the new CBA coming in and a pretty strong top 10. So there's a lot of things they could do. I think picking at seven will be my most likely guess, but you know, there's a lot of ways they could do it just given the numbers crunch they're going to be facing. We're joined by Tony East. He's the host of the Locked On Pacers podcast. You can also follow his work, SI.com, talking everything blue and gold. Um, if they do make a trade, who would be some of the veteran wing players who, who really interest you? Who, who screams potential fit to you? Of Look, I, I know I'm asking you to like conjure up a trade out of thin air, but just, just looking around at the guys that have been rumored or that have been talking about, um, who, who kind of entices you the most? Yeah, you know, because I, like most people in Indiana, haven't been living under a rock since February, I feel like I have to say OG and Anobi first. I mean, <laughs> I think that the, the Pacerdom has been talking about that name for <laughs> four or five months now. And some of it's that the Raptors were, you know, loosely gauging his value. Some of it's that no one knows what the Raptors are going to do. Some of it's that he went to IU. And most of it is that he's really good and would fit the Pacers really well, right? I think that's where a lot of this discussion comes from is – you know, Rick Carlisle at his end-of-season press conference was talking about, yeah, we need fours, and every team wants a four who can create a little bit. And the whole Pacers team said we need to defend better. They were the worst defensive team in the league from the All-Star break to the end of the season. You put all that together, and a player like OG Ananobi is kind of exactly what they need and it would connect a lot of the pieces uh, that they already have and would really make them more formidable in many ways, would not subtract from anything they already have, right? You're going to hear a lot of names uh, but I think he'll be the one that 
obviously I always start with when I ask, am asked that question. Um, but he's not going to be the only one. It's always tricky because wings are so valuable that teams rarely make them available. I think Jake Fisher at Yahoo reported Pacers had some interest in DeAndre Hunter with the Hawks back in February. Perhaps he could be one that they circle back to now. The Hawks are going to be dealing with some financial stress because of the new CBA pretty soon. People have a lot of questions about what the Pelicans are going to do, perhaps some of their forwards. But uh, it's going to be fascinating to see because, you know, in a year like this where there's changes to the rules eight days after the draft, I think that's going to influence what a lot of teams have to do. Can you give me the Tony East power rankings, if the Pacers do stay at seven, on the four names that really have been linked to them, I think, the most here in, in Walker, Hendricks, uh, Cam Whitmore, and Grady Dick. Like, rank those guys one through four to me just for, for fit, just kind of your personal power rankings on those guys. Yeah, Walker and Hendricks are my one-two in, in some order. Walker's been my one the whole time. A lot of people think Hendricks would be a better player, a better fit. I understand why. He's a much better shooter, but Jairus Walker can really defend. He can defend several positions. He can really move around the floor, switch. He's powerful. Like He's just kind of a lot of the stuff the Pacers need, and he's got a little bit of offensive upside. Like If you watch his high school tape at IMG, he's handling the ball, creating a little bit, making plays in a way that you never see that with Hendricks, but both can defend. And I think that's why of the natural fits at seven for the Pacers, those two stand out the most to me. They need defense so bad. And a lot of times you don't want to look at fit in the draft, right? You just want to get the best player. But in the Pacers situation where they have two really good guards who they project to have for a very long time, you can actually think about fit a little bit. And so looking at those defensive forwards who plug in well with Halliburton, with Matherin, makes a lot of sense. I I think that Grady Dick might fit better with the Pacers than Cam Whitmore does, but I think Cam Whitmore will be a better pro. So those two, it kind of comes down to your philosophy. I would put Whitmore three and, and Grady Dick four. Um, Whitmore just has this unique combination of athleticism and power. Grady Dick, obviously the best shooter in the draft. So I, none of them are bad players. I think they'll all be fine in the pros, but that's the order I would put them in. I think there's this feeling from fans, and, and maybe it's because fans here aren't used to having top 10 picks. They, they, they had their first single-digit selection last year with Matherin in since, what, 89 or however long it had been. Uh, but there's this feeling that like anybody that you get with a top 10 pick has to be some like franchise-level player, have that upside. A- am I right in saying I'd happily settle? Like, let's say it's it's Jairus Walker. I, I, if he can switch and guard multiple positions and – be a, a rock solid NBA starter for them for seven, eight years and have like a 10, 12 year career. Like I, I'm perfectly cool with that. Is my bar too low? Your bar's right. Before we talk about that question, we did this last year, Derek, where we talked about Pacers top 10 picks since the eighties. And I, I think we all talked about it wrong. We were all saying single digit pick. You should know 1996 draft. They picked Eric Dampier 10th. Exactly. Yeah, you're right. That's a top 10. That's yeah. a top 10 pick, right? Shouldn't that count? <laughs> and, and Paul George, right, was 10, exactly, exactly 10. 10. So you had to specifically say single digit, but <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> we all did it. We all right. did finagling for years and years. Yeah, I think you're totally right on that. Like, the way I think about it is like a guy like Kyle Korver, right, who's just like mm-hmm. the ultimate role player for years and years and years. And he was awesome. He had a 20-year career and was a one-time all-star and a lights-out shooter. He was the fifth overall pick. If you get Kyle Korver at five, you're like, Yes, <laughs> you know, let's go. We got a guy who's going to help us and be really good for years and years. Like Thaddeus Young, if you get him at somewhere in the top 10, you're stoked, right? You get a really good player for eight to 10 years. Obviously, in the top 10, you think more about upside and think about the franchise player. But I'm with you that 
if you get a guy who fits your team and is going to have a long career and be a really good player, you're happy with that as any NBA franchise. Let's take Wemby out, generational prospect, right? Uh, how do you regard this draft class past him? Because it, it felt like there was a top tier last year as well, but the guys in that next group like Ivy and Matherin and even Keegan Murray, you, you could say, okay, they have potential to be all-star players. And I'm looking here beyond the top three and just reading what everybody's saying and, and kind of adding it all up. And it, it doesn't feel like uh, people regard that group the same. Like everyone, you know, once you kind of get past Scoot and, and Brandon Miller, you get to like the four to nine range. I, I think there are players that people like to differing degrees, but I don't know if any of them are viewed as like future all NBA caliber players. Is that right? Yeah, Scoot and, and Miller could obviously be in that group, like you said. Four to nine is fascinating because it's, it's guys that I think are either have that potential of all NBA or if they don't hit it, there's a lot of questions about what their impact will be, right? Like mm-hmm. both Thompson twins, their upside is enormous. But if they don't quite hit the creation or they can't play defense as well as it looks like they might because everybody kind of looks at overtime elite and just shrugs and says, I don't really get it. Um, <laughs> then who knows what they could be if they don't pan out to that highest degree. They might not be the best pros, but they could be amazing, right? Amen Thompson's creation upside looks fantastic. And then you have Walker and Hendricks who – don't have as much upside as those guys or Whitmore, but are, look like they could be fantastic role players. So while I agree with you that there is less of the, that tier you just described, that Murray, Mather, and Ivy types look like they could just be like really solid to all-star level for years. There are a lot of guys with really high ceilings, but also their 50th percentile outcome is a little scary in terms of the normal pick. And that's kind of why I'm a little lower on this draft than the consensus, but I'm just a guy who's been watching college basketball for two months, so don't listen to me on that. <laughs> well, talking about some of the other questions that the Pacers have to answer beyond draft night, uh, they've got a handful of in-house free agents. Doesn't appear that any of those guys are must-retain guys, but w- what would you say the over-under is on just given their roster spot situation here, Tony? And I think we'll have some more clarity on this after after Thursday, given if there are some trades made, but what do you think the over-under is on, on how many of those guys actually return to the fold here? Yeah, if you count Kendall Brown and Gabe York, they're two-way guys, they've got five free agents. And I would say two is the number that I would expect to be back, although I could make an argument for three. Like, do they need two amazing vets? James Johnson and George Hill were awesome for what the Pacers needed last year. Amazing locker room guys. I've joked with Dustin O'Parrick at the Indy Star before that if we could start a business where we just pay James Johnson to send us nice messages every morning, we would do it because he'd be amazing at it. But does the Pacers need to use two roster spots on those guys? No, maybe just one of them. O'Shea Brissett is good and is tight with this culture. Is he somebody they need to bring back, especially if they draft or sign a better forward? Maybe not. And they don't have anybody you have to rush to prioritize this summer. They could rather use their space somewhere else and circle back. Kevin Pritchard called their free agency class like July 10th, guys, which I was kind of surprised he said that. But he is right in terms of when you'd circle back to those guys. So maybe if they strike out on some fours, they bring Brissett back. But to me, it seems like they'll try to keep Kendall Brown, who they liked in the draft last year maybe on another two-way deal, and then one of George Hill and James Johnson kind of fills the vet role. But there's good sense in all of them. In theory, they fit well. They know this team well. 
They, they play positions of need. It's just the team is clearly looking for upgrades. It doesn't have a lot of wiggle room with roster spots to do it. If you go back to the end of the bubble season, we were kind of coming off the, the, the Spurs dynasty, a Warriors dynasty, four LeBron titles with multiple teams over the past decade, and, and, it, and it felt sort of hopeless. I, I may be reading too much into this because Denver has Jokic and Milwaukee has Giannis, so it still requires having basically the best player in basketball to break through and win a title. But do you think at all, Tony, the way that things have gone here the past three years where you've got two afterthought franchises in the Bucks and Nuggets, you know, the Bucks ending their long drought and the Nuggets winning for the first time. Th- does that provide any more hope at all that maybe a championship is feasible, at least a glimmer for Pacers fans? Yeah, Adam Silver, that sound you heard is him doing a backflip somewhere off in the distance that we're even <laughs> having this conversation, right? And this is kind of what the NBA wants. Parity is extremely important to them. They want the league to be as competitive as possible so every team feels like they have a chance and every fan base can be engaged. They've had five different champions in five years now, right? Bucks, Raptors, Warriors, Nuggets, and I'm for some reason forgetting the fifth team. But, like, that is very unique in the NBA. There's been dynasties for years and years in this league. So the fact that this is happening is good for the league. And you can tell by the way they're changing this collective bargaining agreement that the league wants it to be this way. They want it to be possible for teams to ascend and, not have the dominant league like since 2010 when LeBron joined 2009 when LeBron joined the Heat it felt like for 12ish years it felt like there were only two or three teams every season that had a chance yeah and that's not the case anymore so if you're a Pacers team and you go look if we get a guy and we build the team the way that it seems like it's very plausible for anybody now yeah we could be in the mix to to be a winner or be a threat any given year and I tweeted this a couple of days ago but you know, outside of the Wizards, who just traded Bradley Beal, it's possible 14 out of the 15 East teams want to make the playoffs next year. Like, that's unheard of, at least since I've been covering the NBA. And that could happen in the West, too. Like, it's a great time for the league in that there's a lot of talent, there's a lot of young talent, a lot of teams think they can be good, and the rules have made the playing field so level that this is possible for any team, including the Pacers, who have to see, like what you said, the Bucks and Nuggets success and go, okay, we can do that. We've just got to make the right moves along the way. I'm just glad it's quieted the NBA's rig stuff. You know what I mean? Because they, they would never rig it for the Milwaukee Bucks, right? <laughs> well, if they did, they surely wouldn't rig it for the Nuggets two years later. Right? <laughs> so got, got to recoup those numbers somehow. <laughs> well, last thing here, Tony, I, I appreciate your fever content as well, and, and they're off to a, an encouraging start. I, I know – Record-wise, that, that's not, I, I think, how you can judge them. This is going to be a, a long slog for them to kind of climb out of the WNBA basement. But all things considered through 11 games, especially what we've seen with some of these individual performances from Aaliyah Boston, are, are you pretty pleased with the, the fever here in year one trying to pick themselves up? Yeah, it's hard to explain to people sometimes that 4-7 and seven is like an unbelievably great start for them. But, I mean, they went 5-31 and 31 last year. They lost their last 18 games. Like, to see them be – not only four and seven, but in many of those losses, competitive and right there, which there's no moral victories, but they look way better than they have any year I've covered them. They've got the right pieces in place from the front office perspective, coaching perspective, and they also have one of the best 15 players in the league now in Aaliyah Boston, who they just drafted first overall and has played a whole 11 games in the pros, but you can tell they're headed in the right direction. I know you wrote about her too, but Boston is just unbelievable. I mean, her footwork's ridiculous. Her defense is exactly what they needed, and they just brought everything together. Like, they kind of struggled on both ends of the floor last year. This year, they've 
had a more than capable offense every night and they have flashes of defensive brilliance. Like they almost beat the champs because they held them to 13 points in a quarter. Like they just look way better. And even though they might not be quite playoff level this year, it's very obvious that they'll be on that path for quite a few years in a row after this year and that's so encouraging given where they've been before this yeah i think boston's special and god knows they, they need a special oh, yeah. player over there at yeah. tony r east on twitter locked on pacers pod on all major podcast platforms search for his work si forbes thr everywhere else appreciate it my man busy week for you i thanks so much for fitting us in on the show here of course Derek. always love chatting take care that's tony east he does great work um really really enjoy tony east and i, I don't remember I, I don't really remember what he was doing initially. I, I know he was covering the Pacers, I think maybe for like the Hendricks County paper. Is it the Flyer or the, those papers? I, I, I'm talking like seven, eight, ten. I don't know. The years all run together for me. Maybe it was more like 10 years ago. But I first started following Tony and and found him during free agency because as I had mentioned at the beginning of the show, the guy has this ridiculous handle on the intricacies of the NBA salary cap. And there's a, a lot that goes into it. I mean, if, if you want to get in the weeds, man, you can get in the weeds when it comes to NBA salary structure and bonuses and limits and what you can pay, what you can't pay, bird rights. Uh, cap exceptions it's crazy it's like taking a Purdue engineering class or something it's insane and Tony is just able to not only pull all of those pieces apart untangle all of that I guess I should say but he's also to explain it in a way that somebody stupid me can understand and so I've always appreciated Tony for that but he does a great job covering the Pacers trades happening okay trade trades happening um I don't know if they're going to trade the number seven pick I, I can't say that definitively and, and nobody's told me this I didn't like talk to Kevin Pritchard before coming on the show here but a trade's happening They've got five picks. There's no way they're going to use all five. They've said they're not going to use all five. They've got a young core already. They've got a a roster situation where they just don't have a lot of space. They certainly don't have space for more young players. They got a bleep ton of young players with where they sit right now. And there just aren't a lot of difference makers. You know, if if the Pacers were in the lottery, and I'm talking if they won one of the top four picks, specifically one of the top three, I think we're having a different conversation. If the Pacers obviously had one and it was Wemby or they they had two or three and it was either Scoot or if it was Brandon Miller, different conversation. But these players, four through nine, Cam Whitmore and Jarris Walker and, and all that, I, I think there are, to varying degrees, reasons to believe that they could be very capable NBA players. I, I just don't th- see frontline NBA player. Last year's draft, if you stared at Keegan Murray, you could see – Frontline NBA player. If you stared at Jaden Ivey, definitely you could see frontline NBA player. Stared at Ben Mather and you can see frontline NBA player. I, I I don't see it with these guys. Once you get past that first tier, I I don't know if I see it with Scoot and Brandon Miller, honestly. Like if I I, I think if I, I'm combining the two drafts, I'm taking 22 and 23. I'm still taking Wemby one, obviously. But after that, I'm pro- the next six guys I'm probably taking are for the, the 22 draft. <laughs> the next six before I'm getting to Miller or to Scoot Henderson. And I don't know, maybe maybe I'm short-selling the class, but just kind of from my personal viewpoint of watching a lot of these guys and just from everything that I've read and listened to and the scouting reports and kind of going through all of that, that that's what it strikes me as. Uh, th- this is a 
okay class. And some of those prospects that the Pacers are looking at at number seven are fine. You know, if Jarris Walker can come in and defend and switch and guard multiple positions, he is a competent shooter, not a great one. He doesn't have a lot of offensive upside. Fine. I, I think he could be a fine NBA player. You know, Taylor Hendricks is f- whatever. He's fine. Cam Whitmore is fine. Uh, and the Pacers can use more fine players. They could use guys like that. But I don't see like all-star all NBA level frontline difference maker level player. And that's why just kind of adding everything up, I, I think, you know, gun to my head, they're going to move off of seven. But you can't, again, conjure up trades just out of thin air. You have to have two interested parties. The good news is that the Pacers, it sounds like, if Brian Winhurst had, had said as much, that they're interested, at, at least fielding calls about number seven. And they've got other pieces to deal that are attractive to teams. If they wanted to move off Buddy Heal, they could move off Buddy Heal. There are a lot of teams that could use that. Ex- expiring deal, veteran player, capable player. But it's about kind of making that magic work. 239-1070. Let's go to Caleb. He is on line one joining the show. Hello, Caleb. Hello, Derek. Hello. Hi. Does it work? Yes, you're on the air. Hi. Oh, awesome. Welcome. Hey, cool. Thanks. Thank you, Derek. I appreciate it here. Um, I guess I just wanted to make my point very briefly here, and I'll get on out, but I was kind of surprised for as much as Tony was talking about veteran wings and for the recent trade that they had where they wanted almost nothing for their star. I'm surprised Kyle Kuzma wasn't talked about because that way you could have a guaranteed way to get a borderline all-star wing player in Kyle Kuzma as well as some free agency cap. Excuse me, not free agency cap. Pardon me. Keeping the seventh overall pick. Yeah, that's a little bit more of a sign and trade deal, but I think it could work. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess that's a, a possibility. You know, what I what I worry about, I guess, a little bit with Kuzma is, and he, and he had one of his best years, if not his best year uh, this past year, at least statistically. Um, you, I, I hate giving Jake Query credit for this term, but Query's got this term that he came up with where he's a he's a twenty twenty guy, where he's a twenty point before, a twenty yeah. point score on a team that wins twenty games. And, you know, that that's not what I want. Um, I, I, I like Kuzma. Kuzma's fine. You know, Caleb, I, I think that the Pacers would be better off, in fact, trading the number seven pick for somebody that is already established like that because the guys that I'm thinking about here aren't guys that, you know, Kuzma's not really necessarily um, the fit that I was looking for, but guys like that I think are, are fine because I don't see a lot of high-ceiling prospects available to them at number seven. So See, if, there, the if there's not a high ceiling guy, what's the point? Guy though. Okay, but like here's the thing: you have Halliburton, you have you still have the unknown of Benedict Mathurin. I think you just need a solid third player. When David West came in, he wasn't supposed to be an all star guy, right? He was just supposed to be the guy that helped right the ship. And I think that's really what the Pacers need. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, it's rare that I feel like I agree with Caleb, but I I agree with that take. Um, I think that a trade is very attractive to me because I don't think that the Pacers by dealing the number seven pick. Whoever that ends up being, Whitmore, Walker, Dick, whoever, um, they're going to be like ruining the day that they gave up that pick because that player became somebody amazing. You know, we did that in the 2011 draft with George Hill, and God bless George Hill. George Hill is a really good NBA player, and he was good here. I I think people short-sold how much of an impact he had on those teams that went to the conference finals and went deep into the playoffs. But what do we talk about with George Hill? 
yeah, George Hill is a good player, but they gave up Kawhi Leonard, right? The pick that became Kawhi Leonard. I, I don't think the Pacers are sitting here if they trade that number seven pick thinking that, oh my God, we gave up. Jarrett's Walker ended up being an MVP level player who won championship. Like I, I might be wrong. And we've done this before where it's hard to know exactly what these guys are going to be, but I, I don't think that we're talking about that in this case. 239-1070. Our buddy Matthew in Maine. I had a feeling that we'd hear from Matthew on the show today. What's up, pal? Thanks for calling in. Hey, Derek. Good to hear from you, man. Yes, likewise. <laughs> so did you – are you Pacers? Because I know you've migrated to obviously the Colts – and then IndyCar, and then Purdue, are, are the Pacers part of it as well? They are. Uh, T.J. McConnell's my favorite. T.J. McConnell. Okay, yeah. See, they've got an interesting decision to make there. I, I don't know if it's going to be McConnell, but I, I can't imagine that they go into the season with Halliburton, Nemhard, McConnell, and um, who, who am I missing there? on that? Oh, um, Duarte as well. I, th- I think they've got a little bit of a logjam at that spot. Yeah, anybody but TJ. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, he is – I'll tell you a quick story. I went to the Miles Turner workout when they brought him in, and TJ McConnell was in that workout. And I, I was at the field house, and thanks for the call, Matthew. I'm up against it, or else I appreciate you calling in. Um, I'm at the field house, and I'm like, this guy? Who, who's this guy? He looks like me playing intramural basketball, and here's McConnell all these years later, and he's become a nice NBA player. What a great career. What a great story for TJ McConnell. We're going to switch the conversation to the Colts when we come back. The Ride with JMV, 93.5 and 107.5. The fans don't go anywhere. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta. Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. The Ride with JMV. I love JMV. He looks like Rascal Flats guy. Got a cool soul patch. Lot he does, and a buttery smooth voice. Oh, yeah. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Thanks to James Adams running the board today for us, as he always does as JMV's full-time producer. John, off for another day. Call it extended Father's Day weekend. My name's Derek Schultz filling in. Uh, I've got a lot of stuff cooking, I guess, if you care or want to follow along. Jake Query, who obviously co-hosts with Kevin Bowen in the morning, is a former uh, radio partner of mine back in the day, and we still do our show, Query and Schultz, once a week in podcast form and TV show form, ISC Sports Network, and on major podcast platforms. If you want to check that out every Monday night at 730, we stream it on our YouTube channel, Facebook, Twitch, Twitter, all that other stuff. So you can, I guess, follow along there. 
Also, uh, I write columns bi-monthly with um, Mark Monteith for the IBJ. So this week is my week. So Friday is the published date on that. And I've got something coming on the Pacers at uh, Indianapolis Business Journal and IBJ.com. And I still sort of write for Indy Monthly every once in a while. They've had some changes over there. They're not on the fifth floor in this building anymore. And um, some of my stuff has been, my involvement there has been less just because, you know, life gets in the way and you've got other stuff happening as well. But those are kind of the two main things that that I'm doing right now and obviously filling in here every once in a while on uh, the ride or on Network Indiana or wherever else. And then my full-time job, which is fun for me as an IU grad, and it's, Still a little bit weird, but it stopped being as weird as it initially did is uh, working for Purdue and having a great time doing that. There are great people over there. A lot of Boilermakers I know listen to this show and um, it's been cool. It's it's not been so cool for my wife, uh, who is still firmly an IU fan and all of my college friends still firmly, obviously, in that boat. But a lot of great people at Purdue and really enjoying uh, myself there. And I'm glad that they allow me to do this <laughs> every once in a while. And I, you know, I texted my boss. I was like, hey, they, they asked me to do a... A radio show at, at three o'clock. Can I can I take the last two hours of the day off and do the radio show? And they're like, Yeah, great, have fun, awesome. Just make sure your work gets done. You know, that's the beauty of it. If there's one good thing that came from COVID, it's like this remote work and the trust that bosses have in employees. At least that's what I've experienced. Uh, where you know we're grown adults. I don't need to physically be somewhere to get my job done. To sit at a desk for eight hours a day. Um, there's really no reason for that you know sometimes i'm really productive at 9 30 at night sometimes i'm, I'm absolutely productive at like 6 30 in the morning when i wake up i'm i'm a huge morning person so i just i hit it i start chugging coffee and then i'm i'm boom i'm at it let's attack the day that's kind of how i am and i know a lot of people aren't like that so sometimes during the day you know i'm, I'm kind of picking stuff up and putting it down like i'm working on this and then i stop for a while then i work on that and i stop for a while but like i'll, I'll never do it and i have a six-year-old and and we have a um I, my wife works overnight so our schedule is a little bit wonky to begin with so that that's really kind of worked out for me to have that sort of remote basis and be there i had mentioned that uh, we were going to shift over to the colts they wrapped up mini camp last week and this is sort of the only time of the year that it's i don't even want to say dead the nfl has mastered the 365 day news cycle where regardless of what happens uh, and 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 what month it is what week it is what day it is there is something happening being whispered about being talked about with the nfl like i saw something today about Dalvin Cook and and DeAndre Hopkins wanting to play together, and it's something from an interview where I don't even remember if it was Hopkins or it was Cook or you know whoever said they said ah, yeah I'd really like to play with him, and then boom like it's it's a headline ESPN.com. These two guys say they want to play with each other. I'm like God, it, it, it's June 20th. Like somebody said on a radio interview, he wanted to play with somebody else. That's news. But the NFL, hey, give it credit. We eat it up, right? We're talking about it. We eat it up. There are storylines that the Colts. Uh, that are going to follow the Colts here into the dead period that we're going to be talking about throughout training camp as well. And I think the biggest one of all is the contract extensions coming and looming, at least we're presuming they're looming, for their 2020 draft class. And the, the two high-end guys there um, in that group uh, that, are, that are eligible for contracts are Michael Pittman Jr. and Jonathan Taylor. I, I think both are fascinating cases for different reasons. 
Taylor's case would be far more slam dunk if he played a different position than running back. Pittman, you're tripped up on the fact that you don't know what he's going to be. I'm worried that Michael Pittman Jr. falls into that category of being, you you know, this used to be a term, I'm not sure if it's still a term with Major League Baseball players, where guys are um, 4A guys. And what I mean by that, like they're not triple A, but they're not they're they're too good for triple A, but they're not quite good enough to be regular MLB players. They're four A guys. I, I'm worried that Michael Pittman Jr. fits in between a one and a two. Like I think he's a very productive NFL player. I, I think Michael Pittman Jr. is gonna have a really good long NFL career. I am skeptical that Michael Pittman Jr. will ever be a oh my God, we have to stop everything that we're doing and stop this guy to win this game. I I, I don't know that he's going to be that level of player ever like when you think about the truly dynamic wide receivers in the nfl you would not put Pittman jr on that list i don't care what his stats say you you wouldn't put him on there i mean god ty hilton put out great numbers and and i i argued for years that ty hilton was the number one guy but remember we used to have arguments in this town whether he was an elite level keep you up at night guy at wide receiver so that's a, that's a really high bar. I mean, we're talking about the best of the best, like Hall of Fame level players at that spot. And I'm worried that you're going to pay Michael Pittman Jr. money, number one money, for a guy that's not going to give you number one keep you up at night results. And as the draft has shown, you can pretty easily replace that. And that's the case with running back too. Um, at the end of the day, I'm in favor of bringing Jonathan Taylor back. Okay. He's 24 years old. Uh, he's been, I'm not even going to hold last year against him with all the injuries. He's been an insanely productive player, a dynamic player, one of the small handful of best players at his position. But the hang up for me is the years. If you want to give Jonathan Taylor a three-year deal, you could put almost any number next to that. And I think I'd be cool with it. You could put $16 million next to that. I think it'd be cool with that if it was three years. The guaranteed money doesn't throw me either. What throws me is the years. Because if we're talking about Jonathan Taylor retiring a Colt or being you know, a, a five-year deal, like that's, that's where I start to get the heebie-jeebies a little bit. That's where I start to back and eh, pump the brakes there. I would love Jonathan Taylor to retire a Colt. Um, if he retired at 28, that'd be great. I don't think he's planning on retiring at 28, but yeah. He wants to retire a Colt, retire at 20. Great, wonderful, sweet. Sign me up. Good. Because as we've seen with running backs, and it doesn't matter how good you are, running backs are great until they're not. You just wake up one day and they're, they're not. They they just, they stop. It just, it 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 dies. You know, it's kind of like my, my old, I've always driven Honda Civics. And I just drive them until one day they just stop. They just stop working. And that's what happens with running backs. They're great. They're productive. They're reliable. And then that, that's it. It's over. And you don't need that to win. I mean, I'm, I'm not even going to bring up all of the past Super Bowl winners here of the last 14, 15 years and the starting running back and leading rusher on those winners. I mean, it's a, it's a who's who of who? Like there were there were zero frontline Super Bowl winners, and, he, and even in a lot of cases, just teams that made the Super Bowl had afterthought players. 
you know, think about the uh, elite level running backs to play in a Super Bowl in the last 10, 12 years. Elite level. Marshawn Lynch with that Seahawks team. When was that? 23? I mean, we're talking 10 years ago. Yeah? Okay. You can talk me into that. I mean, you really have to think about it. Whereas, name the elite level pass catchers. Chase, Hill, Cup, Kelsey. I mean, we're just talking the past three years, right? Elite level pass rushers. Donald, Reddick, Chris Jones, Nick Bosa. I mean, (laughs) you know... Those are the positions that you need. Those are those are the teams that are in the Super Bowl have those guys. They have that. So all of this is not to say that the Colts shouldn't re-sign Jonathan Taylor or not even consider resign Jonathan Taylor or let him walk out the door. What I'm arguing here is that people in this town, when you, when you talk about Jonathan Taylor and about him not being a Colt, they go apoplectic. They go crazy. What do you mean? JT's got to be here forever. I, guys, I I don't want Jonathan Taylor here for. I, I want the Colts to win. That's what I want. I'm I'm, I'm not. I, I'm done. Like I'm not ten years old anymore. I'm done kind of playing favorites when it comes to this. I want them to win. I don't care who it is, as long as they're wearing a blue jersey and the Colts are relevant and contending for Super Bowls again. Great, sign me up. Awesome. That's what I want. So the Taylor conversation, I, I think it's just it it's. We're still, and and we're moving on from this, thankfully, but we're still stuck in this mindset of like 1985 football where, well, the running game is still really important. You got to run to win in the post. No, you don't. Well, you got to stop the run. No, you don't. Those stopped being like pillars and keys for winning in the NFL a a, a while ago, several years ago. It's nice to have that. It's nice to be able to run. Yeah, it's great. You know, I it would be nice to have a pool at my house, but what my house needs is a functional kitchen and bathroom. That's what it needs. It needs the receiver and and the pass rusher and the quarterback. It goes without saying. I don't even need to bring quarterbacks into this conversation. Running back is a luxury. Running back is a swimming pool. Be cool to have. I can live without it. My kid's got an inflatable one in the back. We use this like air pump thing. It's it's filled up in a half an hour and you get the hose. Boom. There you go. There's the pool. Swim away. And that's kind of how I feel about that position in general. So it's not an anti-Jonathan Taylor take. Jonathan Taylor is a special player. He's a dynamic player. He is. It just, you don't need that to win at a very, very high level. So the Colts doing everything that they can in their power, giving him a blank check in five years, that's not the right way to approach this. They have to approach this from a position of leverage. It's not, we're going to do everything that we can in our power and anything that he says to sign this guy. It's going to be, we're going to try to bring him back because we want him. But these are going to be the terms of the deal and we're not going to flinch off these terms. And I'm, I'm hoping that it's a three-year, like, right around their deal. The money, to me, is not as much of a concern. M- money, I, I think that's something that we kind of overrate anyway because a lot of these contracts end up being short-lived and you can play around with the cap and, and all of that. It's, it's not as big of a deal, I think. As, and, and I think we're seeing that here in this town where we've talked about how much room, the, you know, cap room the Colts have and cap flexibility. Yeah, that, that's great, but what does it really get you at the end of the day? Two three nine ten seventy. Let's talk to Greg on line one talking Colts. Hi, Greg. Thanks for calling the show. Appreciate it. 
It's always a great day when Derek Schultz is on the air. Ha! Your words. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's cool. uh, First, I wanted to to, uh, thank you for using the quadruple A baseball player reference. That's not something I I don't think a lot of people use that reference too often. Um, But I I, I like the quadruple A or 4A, as you mentioned. Yeah, you don't really hear it anymore, you know? No, but it's great. There there are plenty of those guys as as a fantasy baseball enthusiast myself. Um, you mentioned earlier about the whole where the NFL is and 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 how it's not the old school part of it. And, and I wholeheartedly agree with you on everything you said when it comes to Pittman Jr. and Taylor on, on how to structure those deals and, and things like that. You want to put a winning product out on the field and not just like, you know, I, I'm 10 years old and I have fans. Do you feel, though, that from an ownership standpoint, that that kind of hamstrings the organization a little bit. Do you feel that Jim Irsay is more of a, man, I love that guy, he's a horseshoe guy, and and some of the deals that have previously been made may be excessive in years or money or those kind of things because of the like factor that they have versus what they're producing on the field. Yeah, that's a great point because Ursay has been around for a long time, right? And he he kind of strikes everybody as like an old school football guy, like going into the gym with Tony Saragusa, <laughs> you know, like that that type of right. guy. No, it's it's a really good point. I, I think my answer to that, Greg, would be I've been very encouraged with what we've seen since the season has ended about Jim Ursay going back to the background again and back to his previous role of just sort of being, yes, he's the guy that that he has to pull the trigger at the end of the day. You have to get the bosses okay, but he's going to trust his decision makers to make decisions, right? And so with, with Shane Steichen and the way his brain works and how he's approached the game, I think he's a forward thinker and the right guy to have. And I know Ballard with how he's built the team. I think it's just kind of worked out that way. I don't think the Colts stink at pass rusher and wide receiver for lack of trying. I think it's just because they've missed on a bunch of guys like Banigou and and Ture and and you know they they have they have put assets towards those positions. It's just that those decisions uh, haven't ended up working for them. So that's kind of where I am with it. But it's great to hear from you, Greg. Thanks for calling the show. I appreciate it. Um, Ursay last year in the darkest – to me, the darkest day of last season was the Jeff Saturday introductory press conference because it was like – it was an an angry, defiant, arrogant, which I'm not used to seeing from Jim Ursay. It, it was a different Jim Irsay than I had ever seen before. And I was worried, oh, my God, here's here's Bob. Here's here's dad. And he's taking the reins of the football team. And now he's going to make a bunch of decisions that he's going to end up regretting. And thank goodness, you know, starting with the Saturday, and I actually felt bad for Jeff Saturday. Like we could sit here and talk about, you know, whether he should have he should have never been head coach in the first place, right? I mean, he was put in a in a no win position, but I did feel bad for him that night because there was such a negative energy in that room. There was there was so much anger. Like I felt like it was a a, a beloved franchise level Ring of Honor player, and Jeff Saturday, you're introducing him as everybody loves Jeff Saturday, right? He's got a million dollar smile and those deep blue eyes. And it was just a very, like, angry, dark, black, uh, slamming hand on table kind of night. 
And, I, and I'm glad that we've moved on from that. Every decision that the Colts have made so far this offseason, I think, has been a defensible one. And every their, their process throughout this has been sound. I, I think they have handled the head coaching situation and the quarterback situation very, very well. And those are two gigantic decisions that need to pan out and its results and all of that. But, yeah, I, I think they've handled it so far well. More of your phone calls, 239-1070. We'll re-rack the headlines of the day. 5 o'clock hour, Bob Kravitz, as well as Charlie Clifford. It's the ride. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20-milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta. And check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. With JMV, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. The Ride with JMV. Collect them, trade them, or just enjoy them. 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Really appreciate you guys joining us here. Filling in for JMV. This is The Ride, 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. My name's Derek Schultz. Getting some text messages, which is, it's cool. Um, it, it, it's fun for me. You know, this is a... Uh, I don't want to be the corny like dad joke. Well, it's like riding a bike, but sports radio in this town was such a big part of my life. It was my life, really. It was my career at the very least for years and years, starting with the old ESPN 950 that was not too far from this building and then to uh, to another station that still, I guess, technically exists. It's clinically alive, even though it's it's pretty much dead, um, with, with Jay Query, who's now in the mornings, but... Um, I, I last December, not this past one, but December of 21, uh, you know, I reached out over here and talked to Todd Meyer and a couple of the other people. And I said, Hey, you know, like it, it would be fun to, um, if you guys are open to it, to hop on here every once in a while and fill in when John's out or, or do whatever else. I, I like to still hear the sound of my own voice every once in a while. And they said, yeah, sure. We're down with that. And here we are a year and a half later, the rest is, is history. So it's cool to get text messages and be like, Hey, like I hear you on the radio again. Yeah, it's fun. It's nostalgic. It's, it's, it's cool. Um, I do still enjoy doing it and interacting with you and complaining about things like running back contract extensions and low ceiling players available to the Colts at number seven in the draft. So that's always fun. Two, three, nine, 10, 70 at Schultz, nine, seven, five on Twitter as well. If you want to interact on there, five o'clock hour, we'll have Bob Kravitz as well as uh, Charlie Clifford, but let's get back to the phone lines with ryan who's been waiting patiently hello ryan how are you hey i'm doing well just want to say you're doing a great job filling in for jmv and uh man we need to get you in that noon slot <laughs> i appreciate uh, it i'm i'm semi you know kind of retired semi-retired i guess i should say <laughs> is my answer to that hey i wanted to talk about the jt situation um, I then let me preface this with I completely understand your point of view with the contracts for running backs and all that. But what I'm thinking is I'm that 10 year old kid that loves the player because that guy is like you said he's special and running backs. I mean you say they don't win you games, but he has. 
Like, think back to that Patriots game at Lucas Oil two years ago. We wouldn't have won that game without him, Yeah, you know, taking the ceiling off Lucas Oil Stadium with that run at the end of the game. And then I think about um, hard knocks with Chris Ballard talking in the in the uh, scouting room when he's like, you know, JT, I think that guy's a top five player in the league. And it's just, man, I love the dude. I want him to be here forever. But the running back situation with contracts, it sucks. No, and, and I hear all that, Ryan, and, and I, I think it's great. Um, you should absolutely root for players and, and love players. I mean, that's that's part of being a fan, right? You buy the jersey and you want to see them stick around because you don't want to have to take the jersey to Goodwill in 18 months. You know, you still see people walking around with like Victor Oladipo Pacers jerseys is like depressing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, oh God, you still, you still got that thing on? So I, I totally understand where you're coming from, but I, I, I guess my blanket statement is that Winning cures all of that, right? So, yes, you want to have the the ties to the individual players and you, you want people to have the guys that they're rooting for and you want them to be there forever. But really what, what I want more than anything else as a fan, at least if I'm in those shoes, is to win. And the best thing for winning is, to, yes, to have somebody like Jonathan Taylor is great, but not to drop everything that you're doing to keep that guy um, and, and and essentially sign him to a deal that by year four, or God, even in some cases with running backs, by the, the middle of year three, you're starting to regret. And and that's just what I worry about. I, I think this is somewhat of a non-issue because he's 24. And so, you know, if he was 27 right now, this would be, I think, a different conversation. I think the Colts are going to bring him back, and I, I think Chris Ballard is going to sign him to a deal that makes sense for both parties. I do, at the end of the day. Um, but I still worry about that fourth and fifth year if that kind of comes into the equation. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. JT, give, give us an easy one. Come on, man. <laughs> Hometown discount. Appreciate it, Ryan. Thanks, Thanks so dude. much. Yeah, I, I don't want to, and I'm not trying to step on anybody's love for any player. Um, you should have that love for players. That's what, uh, I, I almost hesitate to say this because there are still probably negative feelings about the 1990s Knicks, but what got me into sports was Patrick Ewing. I had all of his posters, and I loved Patrick Ewing. And that, Back in those days, that was when guys would stay somewhere for basically their entire career because we're not going to talk about Patrick Ewing ever leaving the Knicks because I squashed that from my memory. That never happened. He was never traded. He never played in that Magic jersey. What? That looks ridiculous. Patrick Ewing would never be in a Seattle Supersonics jersey. So I, I get it when it comes to players like that. But I, I'm just – the only thing that I'm invested right now in, if, if I'm the Colts, is just win, win. Not an individual player, team. Win. Contend. Be relevant. You know, I want to go back to Star Wars numbers. Remember in this town when we talked about, oh, God, the only ones one Super Bowl. Pfft. 2003, to, if you were to tell me that the next seven years would be 03 to 09, sign me up right freaking now. Sign me up. I would be thrilled if that would be the next seven seasons for the Colts. Thrilled. And it's a shame that we took that era for granted here. It really is. I'm, I'm not going to launch into the rant about that and, and Ursay's comment about two Lombardis and whatever else and putting John Elway on his top of whatever. Just ridiculous thing to do. John Elway above Manning? Come on. I mean, give me a break. But we did that in this town for a long time, and it's a shame that we did that. Can we fit in Michael here real quick? Let's fit in Michael. Uh, 239-1070. I think you wanted to say, you want to talk NBA draft, Michael? Yeah. Go right um, ahead. Michael's a lifelong Pacer fan, and 
kind of like a lot of Pacer fans, been kind of disheartened with, you know, not making the playoffs the last few years. So I guess a hypothetical question for you, and Kevin Pritchard made it clear that he's not keeping all five of those picks. So the seven, I don't see them moving from the seventh pick. But so my question is, with all the other picks that the Pacers have in trade scenarios, none of them really excite me. Is there any trade scenario out there where Friday morning, if you're still coming for JMV, you're telling the to you know you're telling Pacer fans, you know, they're all in, all chips are in, you know, they're going at it, or is there a scenario where you're sitting and you're saying to yourself, we still got a few years left. I mean, the way I look at it, you know, fighting for a playing spot six, seven, eight seed doesn't really excite me. I hear you, and I don't know, I don't know if there's any. I don't know if there's any trade out there that will get us at least in the 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 four or five talk of having a first round home series. So I just want to see if bottom line is if there is a trade scenario out there where you're you're talking Friday morning that it, it's a good time to be a Pacer fan and it's it's great to get excited this season. And on the other end, if there's any sort of whether they don't make moves or or trades they don't make, that will sit there and say I've even heard some stuff of. You know, sure. 25, no. 26 first round picks out there. Yeah. And, and, and so those, those future picks don't excite me either. No, I, I know what you mean. And Michael, thanks for the call. We're up against it here. Um, I think the closest thing would be probably Ananobi because I, I feel like he's a perfect fit and exactly what they need. But yeah, I mean, is OG Ananobi, am I going to run around shirtless on the circle because OG Ananobi is a pacer? Probably not. <laughs> so I don't think that trade exists, but I think the trade is coming. And I think you're going to see, if you don't see a big trade, I think you're going to see a lot of little trades, future picks and all of that, because I, I just don't see them making, they're, they're probably not going to make more than two selections, I think, on Thursday night. Bob Kravitz going to join us next for hour number three. It's the Ride with JMV. Derek Schultz filling in 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. The Ride with JMV. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Happy Tuesday. Thanks for making us a part of it. It's The Ride with JMV. 93.5, 107.5. The Fan. I'm Derek Schultz filling in. I believe John will be back tomorrow. Is that right, James? Yeah. So extended four-day Father's Day weekend. Our next guest... Had a extended Father's Day weekend as well. I guess the the weekend continues to extend. I'm I'm trying to do a glass half full thing here because a lot of people made this lame joke with me when when I got let go as well. He's Bob Kravitz, the longtime sports columnist here in town. Honestly, Bob, if I were you, I would have just gone to like the Jersey Shore for the next month. So I, I appreciate you doing this call at all. Oh, not a problem, man. I, I actually went to. Uh... Sagatuck, Michigan, this past weekend. Nice. And we're, and we're doing the Jersey Shore in uh, July. 
Nice. It's been many, many years since I've been down the shore, but it's uh, it's a great time. Uh, I know you've been through this before, and uh, people know that it's not a reflection on your great work. It's just some person in some office somewhere crossing off numbers on a sheet or deciding to pivot and do a new thing, whatever the athletics decided to do. Um, that said, does it, does it still kind of sadden you that this is just life in sports media that we've all kind of accepted that just one day you're going to get some random phone call that, hey, guess what? We're going in another direction. Yeah, it, it, it's hard. It's hard to you know tell young journalists that uh, this is something they ought to pursue <laughs> because because it, it's just a crazy time. You know, I was lucky. I came of age really in the '80s and the '90s when newspapers were were all the rage. I mean, you know, if you were a columnist in a two newspaper town, you were always um, you know you, you had lots of leverage. And it was great, but uh, things have changed. And, and with the with the athletics, since the New York Times took over, basically they're not as interested in local coverage, mm-hmm. especially in small markets, as they were when they started. Remember when they started, they were going to out newspaper the newspaper, and you know we had we had Scott Agnes, we had Dustin Depirac, we had Zach, we had Holder, we had me. You know, we had a pretty good staff, and now we're down to, you know, James Boyd, who's wonderful and is going to do a great job on the Colts. But, you know, to me, not having uh, a college basketball writer in Indiana is like not having a hockey writer in Toronto. Um, So they're going in a different direction. They're going to be more nationally oriented, more big stories, more big markets. and uh, unfortunately, I mean, fortunately, I live in Indianapolis. Unfortunately, uh, we're, uh, we're not the kind of big market that the athletic really wants to reach out to. Have you taken any time in the past couple of days to start considering what could be next? Or is this still kind of grab your bearings and then approach that coming up here in the near future? Yeah, a little both. You know, mm-hmm. I, I've. Mostly I've played golf and went, went on a quick vacation with my wife to, to Michigan. And, um, you know, I'm going to start really tomorrow uh, getting a better idea of what's out there. I got a couple of phone calls lined up. And, um, you know, uh, <laughs> retiring is not completely out of the realm of possibility. Uh, if I can't do that, then I'll find something. Um, I don't know what it is exactly, but, uh, you know, I've been really lucky in my career. Something always seems to come along. Um, you know, when Channel 13 let me go, uh, the athletic was pretty much waiting on my doorstep um, to, to pick me up. So, you know, we'll, we'll see where it goes from here. Yeah, and I think you navigated it well. I think you got out of, uh, you know, and I still have a lot of friends at the Star, and I think highly of them, but I think given where the newspaper stuff has gone the last 10 years, I think you got out at the right time then, and then, you know, going over to THR was the right move, even if it ended kind of like this did with the Athletic, but the Athletic yeah. was a great move too, and, and you, you did a lot of great work during that time, and, and I don't want to talk about your career like it's over, like, so uh, yeah. remember when, you know, you, you know yeah, we, we don't know, like, it, it's still kind of ongoing, but what I've always appreciated about you Bob was that people don't realize this now like if you're 20 25 years old you probably don't realize this now but back in the day we didn't really have like take culture like it it, it felt like a lot of sports coverage was kind of just safe and it was information and it wasn't a lot of opinion based and 
I always appreciated you because you were never afraid to say exactly what you thought, especially in a market like this. Because coming from you know where you came from and coming from where I came from, you know, I, I remember growing up reading the New York Daily News and Mike Lupica was a freaking flamethrower. Like he'd, he'd oh light stuff God. on fire all the time. And, you, you know, you come out here and it's much calmer and, and you were kind of the person that stood above everyone else because – I didn't always agree with what you said, but I knew that you were going to give me something that made made me think. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, that's nice of you to say. I mean, you know, I like you, I grew up on the East Coast. Um, you know, we did a couple of years in Chicago when I was in high school, but still, you know, big markets, uh, pro markets, um, and, you know, having a take and, and, and being, being opinionated is what you expected. I mean, you talk about Lupica. I'm old enough to remember Dick Young, um, mm-hmm. you know, on the city side, Jimmy Breslin. Those are the guys that I grew up reading. Uh, Mike Royko um, in, in Chicago. Uh, I like I like columnists, male or female, who uh, have a have a take. Uh, you know, uh, you know, I I don't like the hot takes, but you know, I I think a column should leave a mark and. I hope that I've done that uh, more often than not uh, over the last couple of years. We're talking with longtime sports columnists here in this town and, and elsewhere, Bob Kravitz, here on the ride with JMV 93.5107.5 The Fan. I'm sure a lot of people have asked you what you're most proud of during your sports writing career, but I, I was always kind of curious, what's something that you wrote that you regret? And I'm not talking about a <laughs> prediction. I, I just mean something that you look back and you said, you know what, knowing what I know now, that probably wasn't fair of me to say that at the time you know i it's funny i i I kind of i kind of write the column and then i move on to the next one so i don't spend a lot of time thinking about it but i just talking about stupid columns uh in 1990 maybe it was five or something i wrote that it was time for the Colts for the Colts for the broncos to move on from john elway (laughs) <laughs> how'd that work out yeah. for you bob they, they they won they won the uh won the super bowl in 98 99 uh john's last two years so. and i'm sure no one in denver remembers that you wrote that right bob no yeah. no <laughs> no i mean there there have been i mean i'm i'm sorry i don't have any specifics and that's not to say that there aren't plenty of columns that i've written where i've thought later on i've thought Jeez, what what in the hell were you thinking, man? <laughs> but but nothing comes immediate immediate immediately to mind, I should say. The the cool thing about having the connection that you did with sports figures in this town is that you got to know people uh, more intimately than than the common fan, and and that reflected in your writing, kind of letting people in behind the curtain a little bit. But obviously, there are some private conversations that you had that remained private. That the, there was a trust level that you built with people like Jim Irsay and with Peyton Manning, uh, with Rick Carlisle, you know, p- people like that. Right. Is there someone that you came across in your twenty plus years here that that you felt like the narrative about them just wasn't right at all? That that people Ooh. had fans misunderstood who they really were. You know, this is going to sound totally crazy. You remember David Harrison? Yeah, sure I do. Yeah, Pacers Center, right? I thought, and I mean, David David did a lot of things that weren't real brilliant. Um, you know, he had some issues. But I always thought he was just such an incredibly intelligent guy who had so much on the ball. Um, he just, you know, I, I just, he's just a guy I've always enjoyed talking to. Uh, I thought that he was, and, and I'm sure I had something to do with it, 
But I, I thought that he got a tough rap. Um, you know, I, I honestly, you know, uh, I, I'm not a big fan of of um, Carson Wentz, but I thought that he got something of a bad rap in this town. Um, you know, I, I, I don't think he's the he's evil incarnate. Uh, you know, as, as 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 we're seeing now, he, he probably was a better choice than uh, than uh, Matt Ryan. So, you know, I, I, there's there's been a number of people. Um, you know, I, I've I've gotten to know. You know, it's it's not like we sit around and you know uh, shoot the crap and, and 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 drink a couple of beers. And you know, I haven't done that with too many athletes, but. Um, enough to enough to get to know some guys, and I always thought that David was a really sharp dude, and I really liked him. I think you could actually lump a lot of paces in there. Like I think about, yeah. and not that I knew that we were best friends or anything, but I, Stephen Jackson had far more depth oh. and intelligence than I think people realized at the time. Absolutely, and, good, good choice. Yeah, good choice. I wish I'd come up with that. Uh, I've talked with uh, Stephen for some stories that I've done. Uh, over the last couple of years, and I always enjoy talking to him. Um, super smart. You know, I mean, I disagree with some of his takes on things, like his take on the John Morant deal, I think is idiotic. But I, I still really like him a lot. Having this job that you've had, it, it's it's so glamorous on the outside looking in where people are like, wow, you're doing something that I've always dreamed of doing. So I don't think this computes for people that weren't in the business, but part of you, Bob, the last couple of days, is it, is it nice to not have to worry what am I going to write yeah. about next? Oh, it's, it's so <laughs> liberating. You know, now that that's not going to last much longer. There's only so much golf a human being can play. Sure. <clears throat> but... Um, I was watching something the other night. I don't, I don't remember if it was NBA or what, what it was. But I was watching something. I thought, I don't have to have a take on this. <laughs> and it seemed really just liberating, you know? Um, like, you know, the, the, uh, the, the Pacers in the draft uh, on Thursday. Um, like, I don't have to go. I don't, I don't have to have a take on you know, whether I think Jarese Walker is a good pick or, or Hendricks or whoever it might be. So yeah, it's been, it's been fun. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, but that's not going to last much longer. At some point, I got to get off my sorry behind and do something. Yeah, it's funny because I love sports, but like the the Lakers Warriors series, those games are starting at ten, and I have a day yeah. job, and and I'm tired, and I'm like. I'm not going to, you know, I start to lay down on the couch with a blanket and everything. And I'm like, I'm going to bed. Like, what am I doing? I don't need to watch this game. I don't have to drop everything that I'm doing to watch this. I'd rather just kind of get to sleep and catch up on Twitter the next day. Right. right, Exactly. I mean, I remember when I did the radio show on, on, on that station uh, many years ago, me and Eddie, and, you know, it, it was hard because you had to watch everything. You had to, you know, you had to be ready to uh, answer questions about virtually everything that happened in sports the previous day and night, and that got old real fast. I got to tell you, I mean, uh, I'm I'm no Renaissance man, but I have interests outside of sports. One thing, Bob, that I think about, you know, being a columnist compared to, let's say, being a, a radio host, where. 
there's I don't know if I want to say more responsibility there's responsibility no matter what because you have to attach yourself to something that you're saying but there was there's this like permanency about writing that you don't get in radio like if I say something right, right now at 5 15 on June 20th yeah you can go to the podcast page but you got to dig it out you know what I mean I say it and it right. kind of sits there and then it floats away there are probably people that still send you columns from something you said about Trent Richardson you know what I mean because it's there oh, I can still yeah. I can look that up and find the link yeah, absolutely right. There, there is a a real permanence uh, about writing, and um, uh, yeah, I've gotten. I mean, you know, stuff stuff that I've written. Uh, people send me stuff. I, I wrote a um, a friend of mine passed away, and back in Denver, and I wrote uh, about him. I wrote a column about him and his beloved Red Sox, and. Uh, I still get people still send me that, and it, it's amazing to me uh, that it does have that sort of permanence. Not that my my writing is all that marvelous, but uh, certain subjects seem to uh, seem seem to last, have a staying power. Speaking of uh, Richardson and the Colts, if I would have told you at the time, and this was a big moment for, I mean, this was a big national story that you broke, Deflategate. If I would have told you then, that would be the high water mark for the Colts in the post Peyton era ten years later. Would you have ever believed me? No, no. I, I mean, I would have thought with with Andrew and, you know, doing what they did the first three years, um, that team was ready to go places. Now, you know, they probably would have run into into New England a couple more times the way the Peyton Colts did. But, um, yeah, I would have thought, you know, I mean, still to me, the biggest surprise I've ever had was, was uh, the day that we were sitting there at the uh, – Colts and the Bears and it was a preseason game and I was supposed to talk to Chuck Pagano afterwards about the snow game of all things in Buffalo for a story out that we were working on and I remember in the fourth quarter um, uh, we see the tech uh, the uh, the tweet from Adam Schefter saying that uh, Andrew Luck is retired and I just thought you have got to be kidding me I mean, I thought that he would leave a little early, but not that early, you know, because he has so many other interests. I'm looking for the blue check. I'm like frantically refreshing the screen. I, I, I picked up my phone and I checked my phone on Twitter to make sure that it was the, is this right. the Adam Schefter? This isn't like the, remember that dude had that Adarn Schefter? Adarn yeah. Schefter. He got me once. That, that bastard got me once. He got me on a uh, a trade, or the, I don't know if it was a trade, but it involved Dwight Freeney, and uh, Adar and Schefter got me. <laughs> so, he got all of us at some point. You know, people. He did. He did. It, but yeah, we. I showed it to uh, to to uh, Zach Kiefer and Stephen Holder, and we're just double checking to make sure the the blue check mark is there and that it's Adam Schef- the right Adam Schefter. And we're like, holy crap, this is going to be a long night. Good news for the Colts, and you tell me if you agree with this, Bob. The one thing that always kind of gives me hope, and I know they've been caught in this, as we've mentioned, this purgatory here like the last nine or ten years kind of stuck in the middle, is that I, I think Jim Irsay, for some of his flaws, and he's a he's a flawed man, I think he would admit that too, his number one thing is he wants to win. And in sports today, especially when you talk about like Major League Baseball, that's not always the case with ownership. No. And that's what always kind of renews my faith in the Colts every year. Like I keep thinking that they're going to get back because Ursa is going to do everything that he can to win again. 
Well, as long as he doesn't pull off pull the kind of nonsense he did last year. <laughs> That's right. I mean, last yeah. year he was completely out of out of line, uh, getting involved and 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 trying to trying to you know. Uh, I mean, mandating that Ellinger plays, and it, it was just, it was a disaster. But, yes, by and large, Jim Mersey is one of the best owners in, in professional sports. You know where his heart is. Um, you know, even if you go back to the day when uh, there, were, there were questions about the, um, uh, about the stadium, he never, he, he wanted to stay where he was. He had no burning desire to build a new arena or build a new stadium. So, I mean, I think Jim's heart's in the right place. Sometimes his brain gets in the way. But by and large, I think Indy is very fortunate that we, that we have Jim and, 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 the sign, and Herb Simon. Uh, you know, Herb won't spend the money that, that Jim does, but, you know, um, still, it's still important to have you know those kinds of those kinds of owners in town last thing here bob it sounds like from what i've heard from you is that you're you're not going anywhere as far as you're st- going to stay in indianapolis oh, yeah. and I, I think you know this too not being from here that the first thing that i learned living in indianapolis was how important it was to people in indianapolis that people not from indianapolis really love indianapolis and I know that you've kind of, you know, part of your writing has been kind of this snark, right? Which, which I, I love, and I know not everybody loves that, but that's kind of, I think, what made you great about being negative when you felt like it was, it was time to be negative and, and holding people accountable, but also kind of using that snark and all of that in, in some of your writing. Uh, that said, uh, Indianapolis is a special place to you. Uh, I, I know that. I, I know of that from your words and all that. Um, what does it mean that, you had so many great stops in your career, Denver, Chicago, Sports Illustrated, everything in the national platform that you were able to do these 23 plus years. If it is indeed just 23 years uh, in Indianapolis, what's that mean? Well, I mean, it's home. It's home. And, you know, we've, we've got great friends here. My, uh, my older daughter and uh, her husband live here. Unfortunately, my younger one and her husband live out in Seattle, which is uh, annoying, but uh, no, it, I, I love this place. You know, do I wish we had a National Hockey League franchise? Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, I would love that. And I'd probably be doing a sub-stack just on the hockey team. But, no, it, it's been a great town. And um, uh, we, we, we are so – we feel so fortunate. My wife and I were talking about this this weekend, that we got to raise our kids in Indiana. Um, you know, politically – uh, it doesn't line up with the way I look at the world necessarily, but the people are so kind, and I, I just, you know, I, 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 there's no place I'd rather be, honestly, at this point in my life. Well, I appreciate you, Bob, for coming on the show here, and uh, you know, I've always considered you a friend, but I'm I'm a fan uh, more than anything else. I think I told you that uh, via text. Always been a fan yeah. of your work and your honesty Thank and your you talent, you. and whatever happens from here, you know, whether it's going to Jersey Shore for the next ten years, uh, that that'd be fine too. Uh, but I I, yeah. I hope that we hear uh, from you again in in the sports media space. That's for sure. I hope so, too. I hope so, too. Thanks for having me on, man. Thanks a lot, buddy. That's Bob Kravitz. Long time. Great calmness here in town. And uh, and a friend, a former host on this exact radio station. And it's uh, 
since I have personal experience with it as well, even though obviously my my career and my run pales in comparison <laughs> to what Bob did during his run, it, it sucks. It sucks to just wake up one day and it's over, or at least that that portion of it is over. But I think what you come to learn, and, and for me it was a little bit odd because when, when Jake and I were let go at iHeart, it was a national layoff thing. It was, you know, it wasn't a local decision. Our bosses, in fact, tried to bring us back. Um, not that that helps because you're, you're still without a job, right? Um, but it, it was weird for me because that happened right before March of 2020 and COVID. And there was a, a, a mental recalibration for me right after that anyway. So it, it's, you know, I lose my job. And then six weeks later, the, the COVID shutdowns and the pandemic happens. And it, it's, it's all these things kind of happening at once. But kind of coming out of it and and the the what I learned portion about going through it was that this stuff just doesn't matter. Um, Calling yourself a sports columnist, it's a great job. It's it's it can't be who you are. Uh, Calling yourself a sports radio host, it's great. It's it's a lot of fun to have that job. That can't be who you are. You've got to make yourself about other things. And to me, you know, being a dad and being a husband, and I'm sure I speak the same for Bob, that, that that's what you are. This stuff is just kind of what you do. It's, it's very, you, you think of yourself as very important when you're in it. My opinion matters. People are interacting with me. People are stopping me at Kroger. So that means that I am important. Yeah, yeah. Then, then, it, then it goes away, and then it's over, and then nobody rec- recognizes you in the dairy aisle at Kroger or Meyer anymore. And you realize, hey, that's actually kind of cool because I don't want to get stopped at 9 a.m. in pajama pants and a hoodie and a backwards hat to talk about what the Colts are going to do with the fourth pick in the draft by some stranger. I'd rather just get my yogurt and get my shredded cheese and leave. And now you can do that. I don't know. Maybe Bob gets recognized no matter what. But it's kind of a blessing and the curse of Indy being the world's smallest big town <laughs> is that, you know, there are whatever, like 850,000. I haven't looked at the population rate. I know it's spread out because of Unigov and all of that. But there's almost a million people here, right? And you still go to the grocery store and you, you see people that you know all the Like, not neighbors, but like just people that you know all the time. It's crazy. I can't imagine that that happens in, like, Chicago, New York, and L.A. and some of those other like big mega mega metropolises. Charlie Clifford has moved on from Indianapolis to Cincinnati and he is joining that sports market at a really fun time. Reds playing great baseball, they're in first place. If you can believe it, nine game winning streak on fire right now. The Bengals on fire right now as well. Lots of things cooking in Cincinnati. We'll talk to Charlie in his new-ish home when we come back. It's the ride with JMV. Derek Schultz filling in on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation.
Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. The Ride with JMV. It's Jim Pamry, now talk to him, damn it. 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. Rolling right along here, Tuesday afternoon. It's The Ride with JMV, 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. I'm Derek Schultz filling in. John returns tomorrow. Kind of wish our next guest would return, but I get it. His career's on fire. He's still rising like me i'm just a i'm sitting here a has-been i'm a fill-in unlike our next guest he also looks much better than i do in suits he is a sports anchor for nbc5 wlwt in cincinnati he's our good buddy charlie clifford what's up man we miss you here in indy Schultzy, i miss you i was waiting to see it's never a dull intro with Derek schultz at the <laughs> controls of the rocket ship and how dare you say that rocket ship has run out of jeff fuel you're you're just leaving the stratosphere here. Congrats on all the success with Purdue, man. Yeah, man, it, it's been fun. It's it's obviously a different realm, but uh, but it's been fun, and it is nice to come back and do this every once in a while. Hop on the bike and, and make sure that you can still ride. Um, I don't know if you're a good luck charm or what, but man, you get to Cincinnati and suddenly, you know, the Bengals were already on fire, but the the Reds are playing like the Johnny Cueto, uh, Brandon Phillips days. What's gotten into them? You know, I think they're 31 and 20 since my first day here at NBC and Cincy. And we just wrapped up. Made a great timing here. Talked to general manager Nick Crawl, who made it very clear the Reds very open to being buyers at the trade deadline later next month. There is no hiding from the fact that this team has surprised everyone, even in its own city. But that's not going to stop management, which this is a big eye opener for many Reds fans from potentially spending some money here. Really, the starting pitching is where that starts. Uh, that would be the number one priority by a country mile at the moment. This, this lineup continues to hit on a nightly basis. Lefties, righties, they're electric on the bases, but it looks like for the first time, and you know, remember, since he hasn't won the NL Central since 2012, it looks like they're going to go all in in terms of trying to get this team back to the postseason this year yeah and i'd be lying if i said that i was kind of following all of the happenings in dayton and chattanooga and louisville and, and, and their farm <laughs> system i i do know that ellie de la cruz uh was in the futures game i i, I remember seeing yeah. that but then i hadn't thought about him for a while and now he bursts on the scene and, and he's like a household name um what kind of dude is he because as a player man he's electrifying He's so fun, Schultz. He does not appear to be stressed. You know, even his first day up, Olivia Ray, who I know many of you missed in India as well, went down, did a feature with him in Louisville about 10 days before he ultimately got called up. Uh, he is as calm of a young baseball player as you'll meet. And he's he's looked the part. You know, he's, he's had some struggles in terms of, you know, hitting for average, I guess, in the early going. But – if he puts the ball on the ground, it is probably the most interesting, electrifying three to four seconds in baseball right now, watching him fly down to first base. And, of course, everyone, you know, he is he is the future. It, it is around him, but 
putting Votto back in the mix last night, you know, really gives this team that veteran voice because they aren't going to, you know, this isn't going to be a an eight game win streak, uh, nine game win streak, ten straight. You know, there are going to be bumps in the road. So getting Votto back and, and healthy, I think, is, is going to be key for the, this summer. I know you, uh, even before you entered the market, you obviously had a familiarity with Cincinnati because of your wife's ties there and being from there and spending yeah. a lot of time there. So I, I feel like I can ask you this question without kind of putting you on the spot. <laughs> I, I always sort of viewed, as now, now that the Bengals have come back and they're a competent, and in fact, they're a contending franchise now, I always kind of viewed Cincinnati as being a, a good complementary town. There aren't a lot of towns left where you would say the baseball team gets as much love as the football team but am right. I right in saying it, it's right. it's not really a football town or a baseball town it's just kind of a it's a both teams town is it not I think it, that's the way it had been in the last two years you know that dynamic shift was taking place so really mm-hmm. I think if you were on the inside on the Reds you had to feel like your backs were starting to get a little against the wall I mean there wasn't a ton of buzz this offseason. They lose 100 last year. Votto's going to the last year of his deal. You know, you look at the division and you thought St. Louis was clearing away going to be the team. But yeah, to your point, this, I mean, you, you just got to look up at the stadium to know how long this franchise has been here. You know, the longest tenured franchise anywhere in baseball and in the 70s are still on the minds of everybody. And, and now you have a homegrown young team. You know, none of these players were traded for. No one was signed for big dollars. These are guys that international scouts found, college scouts found, pro scouts found through trades. I mean, it's it's a Ted Lasso-ish deal, and, um, you know, it's, it's going to make for a really fun summer out here. We're talking with Charlie Clifford, sports anchor for NBC5 in Cincinnati. Reds in first place. And the Bengals always expecting Super Bowls now with the, this Joe Burrow <laughs> era. And, and that's what's so weird for me, Charlie. I know you're a little bit younger than me, but – as a kid, essentially a kid of the 90s, I guess I do remember the 80s as well, but when the, when the Bengals were a punchline, I'm still kind of adjusting to the fact that not only do we have you know Milwaukee Bucks and Denver Nuggets coming off recent NBA right. championships, we're, we're talking about the Cincinnati right. Bengals being like a Super Bowl contender every year. It's crazy. I'm with you. I'm trying to figure it out, uh, too, with, like, is the talent just so good now across all the leagues? I certainly think that's the case in the NBA, like, these super teams just you aren't going to be able to put them in together anymore. No. You know, it takes more than three good players to to win something. Uh, the talent's just too good, and and you're right. I mean, the, the the whole Bengals deal. It's still you know, it's still fever pitch out here. I mean, I I wasn't around. You were when Peyton and Marvin and Edge and Reggie got the band together and were able to keep it together through the salary cap, but just with how much offensive firepower there is, it really feels like a similar story for a franchise that was just looking for, you know, some bit of positive momentum and to have things fall into place the way they did through, again, the draft. Um, you know, it's, it's, um, it, it's just, you can't go anywhere without seeing people with bangles here. And that's, you know, it's, it's really lifted the Reds and it's lifted the major league soccer program the team here yeah. too, you know, another first place team. So, you know, things are cooking. There's not much to complain about here if you're a fan, as you can tell. Six weeks from now, we'll be training camp, so we're kind of entering what would be the right. quote-unquote dead portion of the season for NFL teams. But if I were to ask you the biggest question mark for the Cincinnati Bengals entering 2023, what is it? Hmm, that's, that's good. Um, secondary, specifically the safety spot. 
you know, again, it's like if you don't follow this team, if you're watching them every week, you know, maybe these names aren't household names, but they lost Von Bell and Jesse Bates. They're two starting safeties, and they're going to go a little younger back there. So I think any time when you're asking the question that every team is in the AFC, how do we get past Pat, Josh, Lamar, you know, um, Aaron Rodgers, you know, the back half of your secondary, is any team really comfortable knowing, you know, those names? And ultimately you're going to have to knock off multiple to get to the Super Bowl in Vegas. So, yeah, I, th- I think it starts in the secondary. Uh, they, you know, they brought in Orlando Brown Jr. to play left tackle. Big money, you know, stolen from the Chiefs. That was a huge story here. So I think the offensive line woes that have really been the one constant throughout Burrow's time, you know, the expectation is that's going to be solidified, and they've they've paid a premium for it. Um, you know, I know Chris Ballard was trying to do the same thing organically, and. Um, you know, I hope for his sake and the Colts' sake that now the, the quarterback part of the equation is figured out for a few years. How has he looked? What's the word? Yeah, up and down, but what you would expect, you know. Also, yeah. it's it's June 20th, so I'm just I'm not ready to have yeah. a take yet, no. you know. <laughs> That's refreshing, honestly. It's like this is, you know, I'm sure they were doing the same thing they had been the last six years when I was out there. I mean, I don't know how you come up with an evaluation with what they're being asked to do in June. I mean, it's just crazy. Yeah, and, and as you mentioned, I mean, life in the AFC is pretty tough when you have the first, second, third, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh uh, best quarterback <laughs> all in your conference. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it, it's not easy. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Well, you're slighting Jalen Hurts here. The Philadelphians of, of Indianapolis are – no, you're right, though. There's it's, it's crazy how stacked that side of the bracket is. And, you know, but just when you assume, oh, it's going to be – going to be AFC or bust you know something crazy will happen and you know but I'm sure we'll all be wrong again so we'll see we're talking with Charlie Clifford sports anchor NBC5 WLWT in Cincinnati here's the ride with JMV 93.5107.5 the fan uh, this is a, a little bit off the wall but it was a big story last week um, how big I was just curious Charlie how big of a figure still does Bob Huggins remain there because not only for his UC ties but I've always kind of viewed Cincinnati as like this weird regional hub where you've got some bleeding in from West Virginia and Kentucky yeah. and Indiana and so anything that happens in those states as well I feel like is relevant to Cincinnati too yeah, I mean, interesting you bring that up because I wasn't privy to this. Obviously, I remember, I can remember the Kenyon Martin days. I can remember, you know, UC in their Air Jordan uniforms and the, the swagger that came along with that. But, I mean, it's clear Bob Huggins is still beloved in this city. Um, you know, the the tributes that went out even after the unfortunate, you know, just mistake that – you know, he should have gotten him fired. Uh, you know, I think there's plenty to be said should he have still had a job after what occurred earlier this month on radio in Cincinnati. Um, but it is very apparent that he made a big impact here, especially if you had any ties to players in the program. I mean, there were not many people coming out saying, I told you so, when he made these, you know, recent you know, terrible decisions. Uh, there were far more people saying, Hey, you know, I, I'm going to bring up a story where Bob went way out of his way to really change my life in a positive way. And, you know, I think everyone's on board with it. We just hope that Bob Huggins gets some help because clearly, um, you know, he can still coach basketball, but there's a lot more that comes with that in life. And that's been the reaction here as the, uh, 
the home run sound. You know, we're in batting practice here at the Rockies, <laughs> and someone must be hitting it into the uh, river here. So, nice. Sorry about that. No, yeah. all good. Uh, last thing here, Charlie, because I'll let you get back to BP there at Great America Ballpark. Um, I know you don't miss popping it in cruise on 85 on I-74, doing <laughs> doing the moonshine run every weekend to see your fiance now wife. Um, but but what do you think so far? Just kind of immersing yourself in Cincinnati and now being a permanent resident and and joining a, a new city and, and a new market. Well, first, you know, I miss Indy a ton. And that starts with AC and Ross and Jason and Brian and Angela and everybody, you know, in that sports room at Channel 8. I mean, we had so much fun. And, um, you know, those were, that was a big call that I got, you know, out of La Crosse, Wisconsin. I'll, I'll never forget that. And um, and then everybody on the airways with you, too, with, um, you know, David Wood and, Todd Meyer and everybody over there who had my back when, um, you know, we were doing some fun things on the radio side earlier this year. But that being said, you know, since he is, it's feeling like home. I mean, my wife's family has been here for generations. They're still here. Um, And to your point, it's just, you love what you do sports. I feel like I won the freaking lottery. The fact that, you know, a kid who wasn't an exceptional athlete, gets a chance to talk and tell stories like this, you know, that's, it's just crazy to me still, but to be able to have a home life now and to start a family, you know, that that's something that needed to happen and, you know, work will never top that. So for those reasons, just feeling lucky partner, just miss you guys and miss chopping it up because that. That was so fun, um, but you're not far, and I expect you to be making a summer trip down here, maybe with Phil Sanchez, to catch a little baseball at some point. Yeah, we're doing that at some point for sure. It's a, it's a yeah. great weekend trip. It's such an easy drive, and um, and I'll, I'll give you a shout whenever I'm in Cincinnati there. At Char Cliff, uh, Char underscore Cliff, C-H-A-R on Twitter, and like I mentioned, NBC5, WLWT. So proud of you and all your success, brother. Keep killing it out there, and uh, hope to run into you soon. Appreciate Chelsea. Love you. And boiler up. Keep it. Keep up the great work. <laughs> That's right. Still feels weird saying that, but yes, indeed. Boiler up. <laughs> That's Charlie Clifford. Um, that That's what's uh, what, what's fun about this this job. My, my day job with Purdue is kind of trolling all of my friends from that. I went to IU with. <laughs> and uh, we did the, uh, the, the IUPUI. The IUPUI had the big announcement that, that over the summer, last August, before I started with Purdue, that they were splitting Purdue University in Indianapolis, IU Indianapolis, into separate things. And and that resolution was actually last week on Wednesday, where, where the presidents of the university, Pam Witten for IU and, and Meng Chang for Purdue, signed it. And so I you know I went to University Center on the on the campus there and had a suit on with a Purdue lapel pin and you know my my old uh, IU roommates like what the hell are you wearing what is that where'd you get that and it's like dude like they they sign my paychecks now like what you know what am I supposed to do I'm not the same person that I was 20 years ago you know screaming at Tom Coverdale and Dane Fife and (laughs) Jared Jeffries like it's just it's over that was the time of my life and now here's the new time of my life and Charlie enjoying his new time in Cincinnati and I'm thrilled for him I, I always thought the second that he got here I was like that he's going to he's going to go places and and what's cool about Indianapolis 
particularly in TV, is that you've you've had a lot of people that that have gone on and and gone to different markets and and really thrived. Um, and Ashley Adamson with Pac-12 Network, uh, Olivia, who joined him ironically at NBC Five and WLWT, wishes had a lot of people that that have gone on and and done great things. And then you have the people here that have been successful here and that have stayed here and and. And, you know, Chris Hagan's been here 20 plus years. AC and Anthony Calhoun's been here 20 plus years. Dave Calabro's been here 20 plus years. Dave first, before he moved on to IndyCar, he was here 20 plus years. There's a reason for that. Uh, people enjoy this market. It's a great sports town. There's great sports fans here. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to work in sports here in this town. And, you know, Charlie's path from from Wish and and to Cincinnati was probably a little bit more of an unconventional one, but I I'm convinced that he's going to succeed there, and he's already succeeding there as as many ex indie alumni have done. I mean, look at uh, Taylor Tannenbaum and, and with ACC Network and Trisha Whitaker and um, you know Megan McEwen. There have been a lot that have gone on and done great things elsewhere and uh and we miss them and and you know it's it sucks not having them around in the the Colts press conference room or on road trips I didn't do a lot of traveling but for the the TV people they all traveled together and ate together and drank together and sometimes had uh, you know the were in the same hotel or whatever else and you miss that camaraderie um what I've always kind of liked about this market is that it's competitive and everybody you know if you're on wait 6 13 whatever station you're on you want you want to do well you want to be number 1 you know, I wanted to be number one when we were doing afternoons with Jake, uh, me, me, Jake and I on a competing station. But I always considered JMV a friend, and I know Jake. Jake and him are, are tight. They're like BFFs. They talk all the time, and that was before Jake started working here with him. And I always thought that was kind of cool about Indy because there are a lot of markets where the people on the the radio, competing radio stations, competing papers, competing TV, say they hate each other hate each other can't be in the same room with, with one another and luckily we don't really have to do that here you know who's your hospitality and all that cheese ball stuff but it's true it's nice and that's the reason that they i think let me back here in the first place two three nine ten seven you're going to wrap up the show next we've got tickets to give away let me make sure that i get this right squeeze and the psychedelic furs hell yeah sign me up september 22nd brown county music center we'll do that coming up before the close of the show um the last segment of the show here on the ride with jmv i'm Derek schultz filling in 93.5 and 107.5 the fan the ride with jmv and the beat goes on yeah and the beat goes on 93.5 and 107.5 the fan Back for a final time here, the ride with JMV, 93.5-1075 The Fan. I'm Derek Schultz. Appreciate you guys joining us. And for all the nice tweets, I'm, I'm not going to be the guy that retweets every compliment. Plus, nobody has mentioned how handsome I am yet. But I appreciate the uh <laughs> I appreciate the nice words. It's nice to be hop back on the bike every once in a while and Get back on the radio airwaves here in a city that I love and sports fans that I love and listeners that I love. This music that you're hearing right now is from Squeeze and the Psychedelic Furs. We got tickets to give away. James is going to pick caller number 9, 239-1070. September 22nd show, Brown County Music Center. If you want tickets to that, give us a shout. 239-1070, caller number 9 to see Squeeze and the Psychedelic Furs. 
Let's fit in Turnbuckle Bill because he's VIP, and I feel like Bill always calls when I fill in here, and I, I appreciate it because I miss seeing you, Bill. I miss uh, I miss KSR. It's not even going to be in the same spot at 56 and Keystone anymore. They're moving up the road. What? Yeah. I, hadn't, I had not heard that. They're going to be oh. in the old Birdies location uh, starting in a couple of weeks here. So um, I, I don't know if they have a firm date on when they're going to – I haven't talked to – I went in there the last night, and I, I texted Larry a couple of weeks ago, but I, I haven't talked to him since, so I don't know if that plans have changed. But they were targeting July, old Birdies location, like 71st and Keystone over there. Well, best of luck to Larry and the whole crew. We're going to have to have a uh, – Aquarian Schultz reunion over there. Hell yeah. To, yeah. That'd be fun. I'll, I'll, I'll talk to Matt Lakin and everything. We'll see if we can get the, we'll see if we can get that together. But uh, yeah, I wanted to uh, comment on the, uh, on the Pacers. Um, I like Isaiah Jackson and I like Jalen Smith and I haven't seen enough of them to know what kind of valuable trading commodity they may be. But if, if we, we have to get a, we have to get, get a superstar. We have to get a Dane Lillard, which we're not. We'd have to get that kind of player to start letting go of too many draft picks and and too many young players. But you know, Portland might, Portland might be somewhat agreeable to that. I mean, they they might be agreeable uh, to, uh, uh, to to let go of Dane Lower if they get a lot of if they get a lot of draft picks and they get some uh, and they get some young talent. But I I wanted to say one more thing about this day. This day was very traumatic to me back in 1975, and I know millions of other people throughout the globe. It was traumatic for them too, but I watch a lot of movies, and and uh, that that summer there was a couple of movies that came out that were really high in pop culture and, and really changed people's lives and changed careers around, uh, especially for uh, I believe it was Steven Spielberg. But the movie Jaws came out in 1975 on this day, and for the Fourth of July, our family was going down to Florida, so we went down to Daytona Beach, and. You know the the music and and uh, uh, the girls swimming at night and and everything that goes along with with seeing the movie Jaws. I as an adult man, I'm not afraid to admit that that summer when I went into the ocean, I made sure I could see my knees. Yeah, I man. Didn't, I, I didn't I didn't get the and there was a lot of people like that. I don't blame you at all. I mean, Quinn's speech when he's talking about the USS Indianapolis and the sharks coming through, it's like the most haunting. <laughs> the most haunting thing in, in any movie. I, I think that part is actually far worse than when, I'm sorry, spoiler alert in case you haven't seen it. And Bill, thanks for the call. We got about two minutes here. Um, far worse than him getting chopped up and eaten up by the shark by Jaws is that speech. It's it's awful because it's actually uh, true uh, that our, the survivors of USS Indianapolis had to deal with that. I actually read a book on it recently and it's it's fascinating but yeah, Jaws. Um, Jaws messed me up when I was a kid. Uh, there were a lot. It messed me up when I was a kid. My dad really liked horror movies, so that was that was a problem. And then there were other things that like happened that um, just scared me to death, and I never touched it or whatever else. Like Len Bias. I don't think I'm alone in saying that. Like Len Bias and cocaine. Because you thought your whole life, oh my God, he did cocaine once and died. And then you kind of find out, yeah, maybe it wasn't just once. So the things that you, the, the things that happen, like pop culture things or happenings as a kid uh, can scar you for a long time. And I know that that, that, that definitely happened to me. <laughs> Sorry, that's a weird way to end the show. Talking about Len Bias and shark attacks. 
But thanks to Bill. Always random. And great hearing from him. Great hearing from all of you. Appreciate John letting me fill in today. Appreciate our guests, Greg Rakestraw, Bob Kravitz, Tony East, Charlie Clifford. You can check it out on the podcast page. Thanks to James Adams. And thanks to all of you. We'll see you next time. The Ride with JMV, 93.5, The Fan. Have a great night. fans want new flooring and want it now. March is the time to buy at Floors to Your Home, right Brian Con? It really is, JMV. We have the state's largest selection of new flooring in stock. And we've just received additional truckloads of new hardwood, laminate, and waterproof flooring. So we're marking everything down. Brian, I'm looking at some of your incredible deals. We always sell up to 50% off those big box stores. But for a limited time, you can get new flooring starting at just 80 cents a square foot. 80 cents a square foot? That's incredible. That's three rooms of hardwood, laminate, or waterproof starting under $350 at Floors to Your Home. And you can get it right now. We have over 1,200 styles in stock. Floors to Your Home is the place for the lowest prices anywhere in Indiana. I'm doing my whole house. Three very convenient locations. Avon, Noblesville, and Brookville Road. Who has the lowest prices on flooring? Floors to Your Home. That's who.